Okay, uh, we're going to talk about the Dune trailer, right? Yeah. And yeah, let's do it. The movie. Let's do it. I don't know if there are any other trailers worth looking at. I don't think there are. Oh, Gran Turismo. I skipped it. I didn't From watch ne- that one. Neil Blomkamp directed it. Oh, yeah, what? that was the last oh, time wow. that guy made a good movie. I mean, never. Don't say but I'm, don't I'm say saying okay. I don't. I don't like any of his movies. But I'm saying like <laughs> it's isn't it doesn't feel like he's slumming it directing Gran Turismo. <laughs> like, I don't know, man. I mean, he did like bizarre. the he did like the Warcraft movie. Like he just no, he, he just kind of that was Duncan he? Jones. Duncan Jones did the Warcraft movie. Yeah. Those are like the yeah. same dude. No, they're not. <laughs> Neil <laughs> Blomkamp cool. is like the golden child for a minute there. I th- like he was going to do the Alien prequel or the Alien yeah. sequel. Sorry, with he was going to bring Sigourney Weaver back to Aliens. Right. Wait, and who's doing? Play? There's like an Earth set Alien sequel, still being made, right? Who's doing that? Uh, I don't know. It's not him. He's not. He's not attached to any Alien movies anymore, as far as I can tell. Yeah. Well, like when you guys said, you know, like when was the last time you made a good movie? I was like. When was the last time you made a movie? Was it Ch- right. was it Chappie ten years ago? Oh, there's an alien. Um, that be right. There's an alien uh, TV series coming to Hulu. Oh, isn't this done by the Fargo guy? Didn't the Fargo people aren't they doing this? I don't know. Uh, that All guy's right. that guy has a name. What's his name? Yeah, what is his name? Um, Blomkamp made a movie in 2021 guy? called. Demonic. Noah Noah Hawley, yeah. Noah Hawley. I could have Did you guys see Demonic? No, I I forgot he did Demonic until um until I was looking at his credits after I watched the uh the Gran Turismo trailer, and I was like I could I've totally forgot he did Demonic. Like nobody saw that. No, <laughs> I have no memory of that. Uh, and yeah, yeah before Noah, that, Noah Hawley wrote is a writer for the Alien show that's coming out. Okay, I mean I liked Fargo, and I also liked. One season of uh, Legion. There you go. So, I don't know. He's the man. What about next goal wins? You guys want to talk that? I mean, sure. I did. I did watch that sure. trailer. <laughs> um, and also, Strange Way of Life. I, this is like crazy that a short film gets a trailer. It's just like such a bizarre. That- oh yeah. <laughs> okay. I didn't see that. It looks. It also looks like super. It looks like a like an SNL skit, you know. Oh wow! Yeah, I mean, not I that mean, not that I don't want to. I kind of want to see it. I think it looks like interesting, but just like the way it's filmed, it looks really cheap, you know. Mm. Well, it, I guess it actually probably isn't. It's like part of that, um, like the Saint Laurent uh, deal. Oh really? Right? Like, don't they keep funding a bunch of shorts from? I didn't know it was directors. Con- yeah, they do. I didn't know it was connected to that though. Mm. I think it says. Um, I think that's like one of the things that flashes with the uh, the credits at the end. But um, anyway, I mean, if we're gonna talk it, let's uh, let's talk it. But uh, let's let's talk it. We're not. <laughs> yeah. Um. Okay. Uh. Sorry, I'm just still looking through trailers. Uh. Okay. We don't need to talk about any more trailers. White Man Can't Jump remake. Just kidding. Uh, I did watch that. I did watch it too. I actually, I actually didn't think it looked that bad. I'll probably check it out. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, let's get started. Mm-hmm. Oh, you believe it just 
and welcome to episode 140 of the Film Yak Podcast. I'm John. I'm Kevin. And I'm JR. This week we're talking about my pick, uh, Howard Stern's movie Private Parts from 1997. And... Uh, you know, starring Howard Stern and a lot of other people associated with his show and actors too. And uh, we'll also talk about what we watched, some some recent releases. I know Jr. is just desperate to stay ahead of me on the 2023 train. We'll see if he did. I don't know if he did. We'll see. I didn't. I was out of, <laughs> I was out of commission. <laughs> no, but you watched some 2023 releases. I watched a few. Yeah, you did. <laughs> I tried to sneak in, uh, you know, they added inside to Peacock. Oh. I tried to sneak that in today, but uh, my daughter wasn't having it. Oh, yeah. As in, she wouldn't take a nap. Yeah, totally. Uh, yes. I didn't try I didn't try to watch inside with her. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's coming, you know. So at some point in the, in the future, you'll be able to watch, uh, you know, weird Willem Dafoe movies with your daughter. You yeah. Know, and she'll so be okay that'll be, with it. That'll be great, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We're also going to talk some trailers that dropped this week, uh, the big one being Dune 2. But before we get to Dune 2, let's talk the other just massive trailer that dropped. So massive, I can't even remember what it is. We were just talking about it four seconds ago. What movie is it? <laughs> White Man oh, Can't next, Jump. Next Goal Wins. <laughs> Directed by Taika Waititi and starring Michael Fassbender as a down-on-his-luck soccer coach who gets a second chance at redemption. Hmm. Yeah, this feels... <sighs> I know, I know I'm it. usually Just the... <laughs> I know I'm usually the YTG guy around here, but I'm like, uh, this is... Uh, this is just not... Not doing it for you, huh? No, like the... Because well, it's, it's Taika Lasso. It's Taika Lasso. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Taika Lasso. It, it feels very Ted Lasso. Yeah. Mm. Which, you know, I get, you know, like it's a big show. They're probably going to try to capitalize on it, but then they're going to, but, you know, trying to, trying to throw in, um, you know, the dry New Zealand sense of humor onto it. And it just, it just, it, I don't know. It just doesn't, it feels forced. It doesn't, feel you know fun it feels like they're trying to make it fun which you know you can't really do that i uh i'm just ready for the incal man i want this guy to just stop doing all these other movies to make the incal because uh it's I either really... gonna it's either gonna be really really good or really really bad you know yeah like i am interested to see him take you know like um i mean well I think some of his earlier stuff might have had more of a dramatic bent, like um, Boy and um, I don't know, maybe some other stuff. But like, yeah, I would be interested to see him turn his hand to something, you know, more dramatic and less, you know. Uh, well, to be goofy. fair, I mean, the end calc is pretty goofy at parts, but <laughs> the, uh, or the I mean, at least the novel is. Um, but uh, as for this, though, the other thing that strikes me about this one. And it's interesting because it's similar. It has a similar sort of. Uh, it has something in common with Dune. You guys know where I'm going with this? Um. No, I, I, I truly don't. Okay, white savior narrative. 
Am I right? I mean, here's uh, this guy. He's very white, Michael Fassbender. He's got blonde hair, blue eyes, and he's coming to the island of Samoa to, like, rescue this poor soccer team. And, like, mm-hmm. well, it's only with the nice white rich man who's down on his luck that he can, uh, you know, come through for these uh, poor brown people and save them <laughs> yeah. and make them champions. They wouldn't be able to do it on their own. A little offensive, No. I mean, um, can be, yeah, can be, yeah. Yes, yeah. it's it, uh, it's going to depend on how how it plays. How they I'm play. sure, I'm sure that's but, not the approach, you know, that uh, yeah, YTT is going to use, but yeah, but but at, at the end, we have to realize that he didn't save them; they saved him. You know, yeah. That's oh, right, worse. exactly. That, yeah. That's how. No, that's works, so the way know? it's going to go. Yeah, just like Mighty Ducks. It's like exactly. a very yeah, exactly. it's a classic uh, formula, you know. <laughs> Oh man! Speaking of when, when was the last time either you guys watched uh, Mighty Ducks? About four or five years ago, I watched it when I was uh, at my uh, in-laws' house. We watched oh, both okay. of them back to back, and they're not good. They are very much not good. <laughs> yeah, I talked I was about also them on sur- the show. Actually, I think <laughs> probably yeah, yeah, I re- yeah. Because like speaking speaking of you know like the white savior stuff is like yeah like i was surprised at how much like casual racism is in like the first and the third one it's like oh oh in mighty ducks yeah yeah it's like it's there i don't remember well like i remember one joke specifically like you're like the dude on like uh what the the hawks or whatever is like looking at the the cake the eater hmm? cake eater they call it, no, the like kid uh, calls him cake eater all the time. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> but at, at, yeah, at one point, like one of them was like, "What's this? The Oreo line?" And I was like, "Oh right, wait yeah, a yeah. minute. This is a Disney movie, <laughs> you know." <laughs> it is. Uh, yeah, all the I don't know. Yeah, it's definitely. I don't know. I mean, Mighty Ducks is just a. It's a kids movie. You know what are you gonna do? And yeah. it's it's a product of its time. It's from 1992. For God's sake, and yeah, kids yeah. are racist. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, anyway, uh, yeah, so let's move on to, uh, the Dune trailer, the Dune, first Dune 2 trailer, which they're calling a trailer in most places. I heard it referred to as a teaser in a couple places, but, um, it's the first look we've had. Sorry. There was a, there was a teaser for the trailer that came out Hmm. the day before. Yes. (laughs) Which was like 10 seconds long. And the trailer got a, the trailer got a trailer. Exactly. (laughs) That's that's classic 2023 thinking. Um, Anyways, this uh, this is our first look at uh, all the new casting or most of the new casting. We see a lot of um, Florence Pugh as uh, Princess Irulan. And we see finally Fade Rotha played by uh, Elvis. What's that guy's name? Austin Butler. Austin Butler, who who was nominated for Elvis, of course. And, uh, what'd you guys think of the trailer? Just give him another nomination now. (laughs) I I doubt that. (laughs) I don't know. The second, you know, like they, they, um, they gave return of the King, you know, best picture. So Dune two might take it. Did Um, Sting not get nominated in the same role? (laughs) (laughs) Doubt it. (laughs) It's, uh, I think that, um, 
I mean, I'm just, ex- I'm more excited to like see a follow up trailer, to be perfectly honest. It's sort of uh, like the first, it, it's a good trailer. Like, it's, I mean, it's not, it's just, I'm excited for the film. I'm very excited for the film. And I love seeing uh, all the characters and like, you know, Leia Say Do and, and, uh, and Pew and, and Butler. And it's very cool. And uh, I liked uh, all of Rebecca Ferguson's stuff with her weird makeup that she's got on and the blue eyes and everything. Super cool. Very jazzed. Um, and I actually really like, you know, one thing I really liked about it, the whole trailer sort of built around his uh, Paul's writing of the worm for the first time. Mm. And uh, when he does, it cuts the reactions of a lot of the Fremen, you know. Mm. And I love Zendaya's reaction. Like her face is so... I don't know how to describe it. It's like natural. Like she looks like she's like genuinely excited, like more so than the rest of them who like, she's got like this weird, like, yeah, like she's like, you know, like yeah. very, very like happy. <laughs> and I think it's part of the angle of the camera, honestly, but it's like, I don't know that guy that gave me like, uh, you know, you love euphoria that. so much. I do love euphoria. No, it's not about that. I, Cause I don't think definitely. Okay. Personally, Maybe a hot take. I think Zendaya is miscast in Dune, to be perfectly honest. But that's uh, that's neither here nor there. I think I just like her reaction and the reaction shot in that in that trailer. And the best thing about the trailer, though, obviously, Fade Rotha. No. In black and white. Okay. No. Glorious black and white. Glorious black. It actually the black <laughs> and white looks atrocious. To be Josh, honest, Josh Brolin. <laughs> no. The quote at the end. When he says, may thy knife chip and shatter. So oh, yeah, good. Yeah. So good. <laughs> Amazing. And Timothy uh, Chalamet just cranking it out of the park saying that line. Amazing. Should they have not shown? I mean, like, we didn't see Josh Brolin die, so I'm guessing most people assumed he's not dead. But should they have, should they have waited to show us that? I mean, he's alive and he, like, lives in the book, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he so, just, I mean, I mean he just like doesn't. He's alive, right? He's just like never mentioned again. Like the last time you see him in that battle, he's just like he's just gone. Well, in the in the book, you mean? No, in the movie. All right, I know, I know that. Yeah, I'm saying, but I think that people who have read the book, people who are fans of Dune, know that he's yeah, you know, yeah. Right. I, yeah, I think that that's one of the that's one of the weird things about cutting off the cutting in half. You know, the story where they mm-hmm. did is kind of like. Yeah, like, um, yeah, like, I, you know, I, I actually reread the book, you know, back in January, and I was like, you know, surprised at like a couple of, you know, well, I mean, I don't know, it's Villeneuve, you know, he can do what he wants, but it was like, like, I was kind of surprised at how, like, how much lighter the narrative seems in the book. Like, like in lighter the, like the, in what way? Like, like emotionally, the movie, the movie seems very dour. Okay, yeah. In a lot of ways, like it's very like, like the like you know the Harkonnens are you know pure evil and you know their machinations are bringing down the ruin of a great house and yada yada yada. Whereas like in the book, it's more just kind of like everyday politics and like the Baron is not nearly as like um, sinister seeming. Like there's you know, it's a lot of, you know, it's honestly, it's kind of closer to some, something like veep, you know, less humor, obviously. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. 
back. I guess I, know, I could see room, the like you know uh, intrigue and stuff like that, which like I don't know the movies. I can't I remember know, what they call it's been the uh, since I've seen the you know part one, but um, what do they call like the mentally enhanced Mintat? Uh, yeah, yeah. The uh, the the Harkonnen Mintat is a source of humor in uh, in that book, if I remember correctly. Yeah, for sure. Is he? He's there's he's, an absurdity to how he's got a massive hard on for uh, Jessica. And he's always, you know, like, well, well, Baron, well, well, do I get her now? Do I get her now? You know, so it's like, oh, yeah, I do. Remember, I do yeah. remember that now. That you and like the way Herbert, you know, presents it, it's very goofy. Yeah. And, but the, and yeah, I don't know. He also makes it not just normal politics because he's uh, just a little over the top. But I think uh, I think they. I don't know. I feel like uh, Villeneuve gave it like a sort of. 2023 you know elevated blockbuster kind of feel that uh yeah i think so yeah, there's a level right. of darkness that there is know, also feels appropriate for the story but even if it's not there is also like a you can't deny that like dune the book influenced star wars and star wars as a like cultural phenomenon had yeah. you have no choice but to be influenced by it when you're making dune into a film now and it's oh, like yeah, the, sure. so like Harkonnen is obviously influenced by like Vader and the Emperor and like the, these kind of like insanely evil characters who have come before in sci-fi. And mm-hmm. there's no there's no way around that. I mean, well, I think the Harkonnen's influenced Vader. Vader has always, feels like a mix of the Harkonnen's and like the mule from a uh, foundation to me. But mm. Mm. yeah, and like I think like. Yeah, it's especially like with the with that and also just kind of like the reputation that Dune has just kind of on its own as a, you know, kind of, you know, literary masterpiece of science fiction. Like, I think if they they probably felt like, you know, oh, well, if we, you know, put in like more. I mean, they do put in, you know, comedic beats, but like if they did it in the sort of like lighter way that some parts of the book have like they probably felt it wouldn't be thematically like um uh, consistent yeah because uh you know you run the risk of just making it uh into like a, a marvel movie <laughs> let's have some uh let's have some snark in here yeah 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 that is the danger i mean everything is uh yeah. I actually it's funny that you mentioned that because i was thinking about um i was i'm watching i'm uh, about maybe a third of the way through uh, Dungeons and Dragons, <laughs> Honor Among Thieves, the new uh, Dungeons and Dragons movie. Cool. Sounds right. Yeah. And, yeah, uh, totally. 2023. Because okay. I'm, I'm the one juicing. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't say you're juicing. I'm just saying you're desperate to stay ahead of me. Um, which will never happen because I juice. I don't, <laughs> I'm confused about who's desperate here. You're watching, sh- you're watching shit you know you'll hate. <laughs> anyway, uh, no, but uh, actually, uh, it's not horrible so far. Like, it's better than I thought it was going to be. And even though that's the narrative that I've been hearing from everybody is that it's way better than you think it's going to be. And it actually is. But um, not way better. It's just, you know, not a piece of shit. But anyways, um, <laughs> but I was thinking about it. It's like the, this is like the the there's like a formula to this kind of thing now, too. Right. Where if you're making it's like it's almost insulting to fans of D&D where it's like 
this this stuff the the the, the sort of storylines and uh, characters in D and D are so stupid and goofy and like not to be taken seriously at all that we're the only way to make this movie is to make it into a comedy, you know. And it's like we could never make a serious film out of this because it's just stupid. And it's just like it's a little bit in, like I could I feel like it would be insulting to somebody who's actually like a fantasy fan. But I mean, I'm wrong because all the fantasy fans love this shit and uh, they're into the humor. So that's, you know, great. But uh, I don't know. It just feels like I would like to see I was watching it. And I'm like, it's actually like pretty well directed. Like it has some interesting like camera work and stuff. And some of the set pieces are are better than your average blockbuster set piece. And um I was thinking to myself, like I, I would kill for like a hard R fantasy film, you know, with these this kind of direction and uh, like just something that was actually serious, you know, and like not doesn't have Chris Pine at the center of it, you know, <laughs> who is like clearly um, out of time, you know. Everyone else is like in the mid middle ages, and he's, hey guys, I'm a thief. What's going on? You know, <laughs> like he's just, you know. <laughs> I, I don't know, he's like a stand-up comedian in the middle of a uh, and and Chris Pine's not a funny guy, so it's weird. I don't know, it's just like a weird. He's not mm. a big actor to not me. Funny. I don't find him funny. I mean, personally, he's just he's like he's a good actor and he's serviceable. And I like I like I I could see what's charming about him and stuff, you know. Um, but I'd rather see him in something like Hell or High Water, you know, where he's actually like trying to accomplish some kind of emotion, you know, uh, as opposed to this sort of goofy, you know whatever it is <laughs> anyway mm. oh got a hair in my mouth uh anyway uh, <laughs> yeah dune 2 looks good um there are the weird black and white scenes which we talked about briefly over text i mean what do you mm-hmm. what's the verdict here have you guys done any more research about the black and white and why why that scene is shot in black and white are we are we no. sure that it's a flashback i mean i yeah i don't know because I was thinking about it in terms of the book, that scene is a flashback in the book. Like that scene, that chapter happens like midway through the book, right? And then, mm. it, and and we we see that whole scene happening, and that's already after um, Harkonnen has killed all the, you know, killed uh, Atreides and everything, right? Well, yeah, like he's like yeah, Harkonnen has gone back to Gidi Prime, and like uh, he's gotten uh, Thufir the atreides mentat he's like broken his conditioning and he's like made him into like piter's uh replacement so you're saying um, it's not a flashback you're saying he actually goes back yeah, to Yeti prime yeah it's not a flashback oh see i don't remember that i thought it was just like a i thought it was like a flashback to introduce fader character I, well i mean maybe i mean you're probably right though I mean, you've read it more than i have i don't well in that scene like you're like you learn that like it's like you know like gladiator shit and like you learn that like fade like does this kind of stuff regularly yeah he's a badass yeah but this go around like um like he's tampered with one of the he's like tampered with one of the shields to like make himself look more impressive but he's also done it to like set up some other people so that they'll then be murdered because you know they tried to kill the baron's nephew and like it's this whole like weird, you know, like political intrigue thing that, you know, is going on 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 that planet. And, you know, like they're also, you know, like there's the power balances between 
the Harkonnens and the Emperor and all this other kind of stuff, and, like, everybody's got to watch their back, and, you know, uh, and, like, there's also, like, I forget exactly how it's done, but, like, there's a double, a double betrayal between, I think, like, Fade and uh, Thufur, maybe. Mm. I- now let, let okay so on not to not to believe this but on screenrant.com <laughs> they do like a breakdown of all of the the reveals in the trailer and the one the one about um him fighting in these uh what they call the the Harkonnen family games on Getty Prime mm-hmm. it says that it's a black and white and that since this is the first look at Getty Prime. It's unclear if Dune's two black and white portrayal of the scene is stylistic choice or a representation of a flashback, etc. But this is not the first time we've seen Getty Prime. Getty Prime is in the first film, also. They show him. They show yeah, uh, this, an outside the, uh, shot of the palace. Are, right? No, 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 no. They show, as far as I remember, and I'll have to rewatch it. But they show an outside shot of like Harkonnen's lair or whatever like his palace and then it cuts to inside and he's inside doing his uh uh he's like he's uh it's like the apocalypse now shots where they introduce him mm-hmm. and he's like he's got like it shows his his um things on his spine light up and then he's able to float you know and that's where uh raban comes in and gets mad at him and starts screaming about you know how come the emperor did this to us mm. when is a gift not really a gift that scene and it says okay. Getty Prime. Like when they introduce that scene, it says Getty Prime. Because I remember looking at Jonathan in the theater. When it says Getty Prime, I looked over and he was like giving me the Yeah. Like we're all <laughs> like we're on Getty Prime. Like he's all excited, you know? Anyway. But I don't know. Whatever. Who knows? We'll find out when we see the movie in six fucking months. Yeah. Also, you know, like I, it would not surprise me at all if Villeneuve was like, you know what? Take those shots and like put them in black and white. Let's, you know, get everybody talking and excited about the movie. Yeah. Not necessarily. <laughs> maybe. Trolling, I don't know, like, man. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah, I mean, it could be yeah. it could be in color when we actually see it. You never know. Yeah. Anyway. All right. Um, well, let's uh, move on. Let's start talking about what we watched. All right. Jerry, you want to start? Because Kevin said he's got sure. barely anything to talk about. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I um I had a weird a weird few weeks and uh like I didn't watch a movie for a week basically. And Whoa. once I I mean it was it did not feel good. It did not feel good. And then when I started watching movies as I was like um dealing with a lot of like other just work and life stress that kind of like glazed over me. So I watched a lot of crap, um, watched a few good things. And then I watched cocaine bear, um, on Peacock. And I was like, Hey, it's here. I have Peacock. Let's, uh, let's check this shit out. I've heard, uh, nothing very good. (laughs) So went in with low expectations, uh, didn't even meet those expectations. I can't, uh, figure out, He's the kid it's like from a, Malcolm in the Middle. It was just like it, it's like this sort of like gore, like silly gore comedy, but like I just was like, where are where are the jokes? Like, what am I supposed to find funny besides just like people's accents, right? Because we're in Georgia, <laughs> mm. and like that guy from 
modern family jesse tyler ferguson is just like being in another like annoying southern hippie about animals but he's gonna get eaten by a bear so i'm just like supposed to find that ironic i don't i don't know man it's just is lame it's just lame as hell and uh it's like the people who agreed to be in this and you know it's like elizabeth banks made it she's she's a famous person with friends and you know this was like cheap to make and it probably didn't take very long and like you know it's it's not like this is embarrassing for carrie russell but like it's it's like it's kind of just like why why did you do this carrie russell not that she's like this incredible talent who doesn't make anything bad um i just i didn't get it i just i got nothing about this movie um and I, I i gave it like a half star rating better than you john but our ratings are spiritually the same i don't <laughs> there's nothing there's nothing good here uh, yeah wasn't, i agree wasn't this leota's like this is his this is his last movie his, yeah like i don't oh, it's not, maybe he has one more actually i think he's got one more last movie but this okay. one's dedicated. I to sure it. hope. I sure hope this isn't his swan song. You know. I think he's got one more last movie. Um, yeah, I feel like he does too. In that, yeah, uh, he's in Fool's Paradise, which is the movie directed by Charlie Day. So he won an Emmy. Who knows? What did he won an Emmy for? Oh, for a guest star on ER. Mm, crazy. Interesting. He won an Emmy. That's too bad that he didn't get more yeah. appreciation when he was alive yeah he says he's got three more things coming out actually three more movies or three more i don't know what dangerous projects. waters is it's a a sailing holiday oh, it's not on uh, it's on imdb it's not on letterboxd which could be it's a show or it's just not been updated yet mm. these appear to me to be movies but i don't know for okay. sure um, anyway, uh, they're not. They're in. One, they're both in post production. Fool's Paradise is completed. Yeah, I, I think that comes I out soon. The, yeah, I saw the trailer for this. Uh, whenever that was. You, uh, you guys, it's always sunny fans. Not, not uh, really. I watched the first two seasons. I think when they first aired, and I mean, it's funny. Um, I don't think that it's funny enough to carry on as long as it's carried on few things are but i do sort of you know there there are things about it that i appreciate yeah i don't know i'm i certainly like don't watch it i have seen it (laughs) i've seen a bunch of episodes of it and have found it Mm. funny I certainly don't watch it. <laughs> <laughs> Which, as in, like, I don't keep up with it. Yeah, I understand. Never attempted to keep up with it. Yeah, I mean, I've seen, like, a couple of clips here and there, and, yeah, they're okay, but nothing nothing that made me go, oh, I gotta watch the rest of this. So, like, the weekend after Cocaine Bear came out, I feel like it was a successful opening weekend uh, financially for Cocaine Bear. And I feel like there was like, yeah. we're going to have a Cocaine Bear sequel. And I really hope that it's massive, just like drop off. Um, <laughs> prevents that from happening. I can't admit. Like, we're just going to do mean, another bear on drugs. Like, I, don't, yeah, I don't know how you do a sequel. It's a true story or whatever, based on sort of a true story, right? So it's like, how would you? Yeah. I don't know. 
Not that it's not that any of this shit actually happened, except for the bear eating cocaine. Mm. Well, there, yeah, and apparently there is one of the like, yeah, the like the most popular or not most popular. One of the reviews from a critic I follow is like, just nothing is as funny as reading this actual cocaine bear Wikipedia page. (laughs) I did read that page actually. I Mm. have not. I did. Um, I forget. I I read it like the day I watched the movie, but I didn't find it funny exactly. But no. Well, yeah, it's a low it's a low bar though because it uh, says the bear funny at all. Right, it says the bear is not known to have caused any deaths, unlike the film portrayed. Right. So you know, but why? How would that be exciting, right? Yeah. It said it only grossed ninety million on a thirty-five million dollar budget. So I mean, it's not like amazing. No, and I think uh, what I just. The opening weekend, you know, over I, yeah. over twenty million was was just better than people expected, but um, internationally, this did like nothing. So, oh well. Mm. Um, okay. Uh, well, speaking of uh, twenty twenty three stinkers, I uh, watched sixty five, directed by Scott Beck and Brian Woods, who I believe wrote the um, Krasinski film. Uh, don't quiet make place. noise. Yeah, quiet place. I didn't never saw it. I don't know. It looked terrible <laughs> to me. Uh, and judging from '65, which is their directorial debut, I think uh, it is. It is. Oh no, they apparently directed a uh, Nightlight in 2015, which is 85 minutes long. Um, yeah, '65 is a story about Adam Driver's character, whose name is Mills. Or generic spaceman who uh, has to leave his glorious paradise planet to bring, uh, uh, you know, cryogenically hyper sleep people, whatever people sleeping in pods in a spaceship uh, to another planet. But he ends up getting hit by an unknown asteroid belt, which is the asteroid belt that is, I guess, surrounding. Isn't there like an asteroid belt in the Milky Way? I don't know. There are like there are like little like hints about what's going on and like where he's at in the galaxy and the universe and so forth, mm. and um, and then he lands on an uncharted planet, which is of course Earth, sixty five million years ago. Yeah, and he has to fight dinosaurs to survive because they're all over the place, you know, and they want to kill him and they want to kill his surrogate daughter, this little girl that he finds. He had to leave his his real daughter back on the paradise planet played by Chloe Coleman, who's also in uh, Dungeons and Dragons and uh, <laughs> he has to leave her on the planet. And so he finds this new girl, of course, and has, you know, he be- makes her like his new daughter and uh, he has to protect her. And boy, Adam driver's really trying hard in this one. He, he's given it a <laughs> lot of emotion and he's very physical in the role. He's running around and he's throwing stuff and shooting stuff. And, it's uh, it's a case where it just isn't that interesting. There's, it seems like it really could have been. Like, there's things you could have done with this to make it interesting, uh, and they don't do any of them. There are choices you can make. There are set pieces you could create, and none of them are interesting. Uh, none of the ways in which he escapes the dinosaurs or kills the dinosaurs are clever at all. Like, it's just a matter of, like, he's a spaceman who has technology that helps him kill everything, um, <laughs> which is really uninteresting. And uh, especially since, like, none of it looks real. It's very, very CG, very, very green screen, very bad looking. 
Mm. So yeah, just a sort of slog, boring um, sci-fi B movie. Terrible. This is a, it's a mm. huge. This is like a huge Baton Rouge, uh, you know, Celtic Studios project. Oh, is it really? Uh, oh wow! That, yeah, it was <laughs> took forever. This is like a, a production, um, not nightmare, but like production woes mm. project. And I didn't know that. Apparently, had a lot of uh, like cleaning up that had to be done in post. That makes that sounds right. Because so. it looks like it was cleaned up in post. Mm. It, I, yeah. I remember reading though that it was filmed. Uh, yeah, they filmed parts of it in uh, Ireland. Like I guess like oh, and I remember also like the maybe in parts of like uh, other elsewhere in Louisiana, like the swamps. Yeah, yeah. But I, my my understanding was they got a little bit of of real footage and the vast majority of it was inside that big, that mm. big studio. Cause that's cheaper. Of course. Yeah. And it looks cheap. Um, yeah, it looks like absolute garbage. Uh, so, and there's, I don't know. It's yeah. It's just like, there's nothing. Every decision that was made seems like the wrong decision. Uh, so just not a very good movie. It's too bad. Mm. Worst, worst of the year. I don't know. I, you know, I. This is my lowest rated movie of the year so far, but I actually think I have Mario Brothers lower on the list. No offense, Kevin. Uh, <laughs> I was I just really. Gave, I thought you I, gave this one like half a star. I did, but I was so. Che- I was thinking about it afterwards, and I was just completely checked out of Mario Brothers. Like I was like on my phone for part of it. Like I could give a fuck about this movie. Wait, are, we, are, we ta- are we talking this now? Did Did Amelia like it? Did your daughter like it? I talked about this movie last week. You did? Yeah, didn't I? I thought Kevin I talked so. about it last week. I no, definitely talked, talked about, about it last time. But Kevin talked last about it week. two weeks ago. Or There's two no episodes way. ago. We did not. The movie had not been One out episode two episodes ago. ago. Oh, you're right. I haven't talked about it. You're right. I'm not bad. I thought I could have <laughs> I talked about this. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, I mean, sorry. Well, I mean, I don't want to do two movies in a row. I'll talk about it in a minute. <laughs> go, go go ahead, Kevin. All right. Um, I so, I talked about. I don't know why I thought I did. Well, you did text me like, "Hey, ignore my rating." So maybe right. that's what yeah, you have just, in your mind. Maybe I've talked to other people about it so much that I thought I talked to you. Yeah, maybe. Anyway. Yeah. Okay, so I watched Hell in the Pacific, directed by John Borman, starring Lee Marvin and Tashira Mafuni, and. It's a it's an interesting film. Um, Lee Marvin is an American soldier who's stranded on this island, and he stumbles across uh, Tashiro Mifune, who's a Japanese soldier who's in the same position, but who is like leaps and bounds, you know, ahead of him as far as like finding food and getting clean water and shelter and all that kind of stuff. So they find each other and there's, you know, some back and forth before they finally, you know, lean on each other to survive. Um, the movie was okay. Like, it's get it, um, like, for the most part, I didn't find anything super compelling about it. The biggest issue that I had with it was the ending because, like, at the end, Spoiler alert for anyone who hasn't seen it. 
there two of them are in this abandoned camp and like they see this life magazine that has a bunch of um Japanese people in distress and obviously Mifune gets really upset about it and you know their friendship is in jeopardy next thing you know the building blows up because like somebody bombed it and that's the end of the movie Hmm. So, so it was, they, both, they both die. I I don't remember this. I, yeah, apparently, yeah, they both die because somebody drops a bomb on the building that they're in. Now, I don't know whose ending this is. There's an alternate ending where they just kind of go their separate ways. You know, not not being friends anymore. You know, and I consider that the better of the two endings, but either of them really it's like so what was the point like if they're going you know if they're quote unquote going through hell in the pacific and they that is the point that there is no point and neither (laughs) sure yeah (laughs) this war is hell and neither country actually cares about um you know its own soldiers that it's right to their deaths right is it revealed who bombed them no. Uh, Perfect. Exactly. Because it could be either one. It doesn't even matter. They're both evil imperialists. Right? Yeah, I guess so. Classic. <laughs> Sounds like a great ending to me, Kevin. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you're one of those I, nihilists. There's nothing to fear. Uh, I, uh, I, need, <laughs> I need to see this movie. Oh, I remember just generally enjoying it, but I don't remember the details of this. God damn it. <laughs> Cat is... Yeah. Angry. Angry. All right, uh JR. Cool. Yeah, she's uh she's lost her mind recently. We had like some construction in the basement, so she hasn't lived down here in a while. And uh now it's back and she Oh, is it finished? Yeah. Like we yeah, the construction is like Sweet. construction is done and uh this room is like not totally back together yet, but yeah. that's kind of just us being uh, busy and lazy. Mm. All right, I watched a um, I watched a romantic comedy kind of deal on uh, on Hulu. It's called Rye Lane, directed by uh, Rain Allen Miller, and it is it's kind of like a. It's like the the before sunset type of deal where it's like two people meet each other for the first time on this one day and we follow them over the course of the day. And, um, you know, they're getting to know each other and you could tell uh, sort of a romance is blossoming. And in this case, it's uh, two people who are um, clearly struggling to get over recently ended relationships. And... um, they're handling things very differently. This is uh, David Johnson and Vivian Opara. I've heard of neither of these people before. British actors who have been in British uh, stuff. Um, and this movie is uh, it's pretty good. I both of those performers I thought were were like great and super charming. And I think that. Um, 
80 minutes it like it threatens to kind of overstay it's welcome with this with this premise um but but it just kind of it just it doesn't doesn't we get out just in time um i wish there was like a little bit more going on narratively i think where this goes with uh with the way they like deal with their exes is ultimately predictable and you know it's like still romantic comedy so it's just is predictable uh and my only other like criticism is that uh sometimes this movie feels like an audition tape for this uh director to do something bigger because she is doing so fucking much with this camera uh, and using some insane lenses that at times like like sometimes it looks cool and sometimes it just like it's like what is going on why was this move appropriate for this moment and just takes me out of it um, but yeah if you feel like an easy romantic comedy it's on Hulu yeah it's on my watch list I'm gonna watch it um I just happened to see it on Hulu, and I added it to my watch list because it's 80 minutes long. And from this year, exactly, and, and it has you to have be done. No standards it has above to just be done. It's, it was re- it was released. I actually do have standards, Jr. I uh, <laughs> I will not watch, for instance, uh, the Ant Man movie that came out. I will not watch that. I will not watch Guardians of the Galaxy <sighs> three. It's so stupid. Like, it's just a Marvel thing. Like, yeah, I hate Marvel. And yeah, and you're like, Ant Man is probably going to be better than 65. Uh, Not that I, there's no way that's true. <laughs> Ant Man will be a zero star movie if I watch it. That's amazing. Um, I watched the uh, Super Mario Bros. movie, uh, directed by Michael Jelinek and Aaron Horvath. Uh, who apparently have never directed anything before? Is that is that true? Uh, Horvath did the Teen Titans movie. Yeah, like they, one of them has done stuff for sure. It says Aaron Horvath. He has two credits, but Jelinek mm. does not. Anyway, um, <clears throat> for some reason, I thought this was like they were like they were names who had, who had done a lot of stuff. But anyways, Teen Titans uh, movie is funny. What is it? The Teen Titans movie is funny. Oh, sure it is. Uh, anyway, <laughs> I mean, if it's directed by these guys, I doubt it. Anyway, <laughs> I took my kid to see this movie. It's her first movie in the theater, and she had a blast. She loved this movie. She was dancing and watching it intently, and she didn't get bored during it at all, which uh, it just shows just shows to Goya uh, that, uh, you know, a five-year-old uh, you know, can just pay attention to anything. Uh, I, you know, this movie was, I just found this movie so dull <laughs> and, uh, uninteresting and run of the mill and boring and not funny ever. Uh, and I had to go into the lobby and just stand in line for like 20 minutes to get, uh, to get a refill just cause I was so out of my mind with boredom. Sorry, sorry. You just like left your child in the theater by by herself. Well, her mother was with her actually, so it's okay. <laughs> um, thank God, because otherwise, <laughs> God I'm knows. sorry. I'm just so used to my significant other like refusing to go see movies that I just assume mm-hmm. that's how other people's significant others are. Well, you might find her flexible on that whenever your kids of age to see a movie. I mean, she'll want to experience that, right? Mm. I probably not. No. No. <laughs> 
<laughs> I honestly don't know. We'll see. I mean, you know, it's fun to go. We'll I feel I, I had a great time in that respect, like going to see something with her. I mean, I would go mm-hmm. see the Mario Brothers movie again tomorrow if I was taking her to go see it. Like, it's fun to watch your kid have a good time and enjoy herself. But um, the movie itself did nothing for me at all. Uh, and I hate Chris Pratt, obviously. Who who couldn't? <laughs> And uh, I felt like, honestly, this is like the weirdest thing. Like Jack Black as whoever he is, the villain. Uh, Bowser. Bowser. Yeah, Bowser. I always, I always call him King Koopa. Isn't he King Koopa? He's the king know. of the Koopas. Okay, well, I always called him King Koopa when I was a kid. Um, oh. Anyway, uh, Bowser, uh, Jack Black's portrayal of bowser his voice like he doesn't i don't he not he's not doing anything that is funny in this like it's really strange to me because he seems to be playing it almost entirely straight except for a few like his like sort of uh weird infatuation with princess peach and his god-awful song that he sings about princess peach which is like it has nothing there's nothing inherently funny about it so i'm assuming that we're supposed to find it funny because just simply because of the irony that he's who he is and he's performing a song on piano. Like there's nothing funny about the song, but people are losing their minds about the song. I don't, I don't people, get People it. love the song. Why though? People are talking. It's just, I don't understand what is. <laughs> well, this is a great song. This. And, um, I don't know. The fan service is just like out of control. I mean, it's worse than star Wars. It's just like, there's so much fan service. Everything's a nod or a reference to something. And, uh, it's, I don't know. Yeah. It's just not for me, man. I'm not, I'm not a, I don't care about Mario. I haven't cared about Mario since I was like eight. Uh, you know, I'm not a retro gamer. Like, I don't think it's, you know, they still, they still make them. Yeah. I don't give a fuck. I just don't care. (laughs) I mean, literally, no, dude, I, I hate Nintendo. I hate all of their stuff. I can't, it's just, it's (laughs) it's for kitty. It's like kitty shit. I'm not interested in it. Um, it's just not for me personally. I mean, that's just, I'm not trying to sound pejorative towards like fans of this. Like if you like this, Kevin, it's great. I love that you love this, but it's just like, for me, this is not working on any level. Uh, and I hated every second of it. (laughs) Sorry. Okay. I I honestly wonder why it's a one star now that I'm looking back on and thinking about it. I'm like, I don't even know why I got one star. Maybe just because my kid was there and enjoyed it. I remember when I saw the trailer thinking that um, Charlie Day seemed like he was going to do a good job voicing Luigi. But, I mean, whatever. He voices Luigi. I don't know. Some of, like, the real world stuff isn't terrible, I guess. Like, at the beginning, like, when they're they're just plumbers in New York. Mm. That's, you know, that, that could be interesting. It's not funny. None of it's is funny. Is that but... animated? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's all animated. It's, yeah. like, the same style and everything, and there's just... Like and they're like three feet tall for some reason, but nobody explains that. I don't know. There's no explanation of why they they don't look proportionate to the rest of the is, people in the world. Oh, everyone else is okay. That's I mean, they're all, it seems like everyone else is pretty normal size. They're very short. I don't know. Maybe I'm imagining that. Kevin, aren't they? I very mean, I I don't remember any height discrepancies, but I mean, the fellow in the diner. But oh, well, that dude was obviously supposed to. Yeah, but it's like when he stands up, it's like it's okay that he'd be bigger than because he's like a bully. But yeah. he's like he's it's like Mario looks like an infant next to him. Like he's like the size of his he gets up to his knee. It's I don't know. <laughs> Just didn't uh I don't know. 
wasn't for me. It was funny though because Sebastian Maniscalco does that guy's voice, mm. and they showed a preview to his movie that's coming out. Yeah, yeah. Uh, De Niro, no less. Yeah, what? and uh, it was kind of interesting because that movie is definitely not uh, for kids. It doesn't look like. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but they showed it anyway for yeah. them. Yeah. I guess because he's involved. Yeah. Did they show the uh, the Barbie trailer? When you saw it? They did not. I don't know if the Barbie oh. trailer was released when I saw it. They showed it for sure before yours? Yeah, for sure. Oh, maybe it wasn't. I don't, yeah, I don't, they did not show that. Did they show that? Now that I'm thinking about it, maybe they did. I mean, they I definitely, know, they definitely showed weeks. it, like, um, well, like, where, where did you see it? I saw it at the 16 on O'Neill. Okay, we saw it at Perkins Row, so I don't. They they might have like different yeah, maybe uh, different trailers. I don't know. Yeah, but uh, but yeah, like definitely like like you know, I was you know talking to my wife like, oh, I wonder if uh, John will take Amelia to see Barbie, and she was like, that's not for kids. And I was like, what, really? And then yeah, I kind I of would look it up, and it's like, uh, I guess PG thirteen. Beat but, you uh, off. Yeah, beat you off, and all yeah, that's like yeah, all this yeah, yeah. sexual stuff. I mean, I'm not that not that my five year old would understand any of that. I think she'd be bored by it, quite frankly. Maybe, yeah. Like, I mean, it's yes. you know, it's not like Mar- like Mario's colorful and there's shit happening constantly. You know, mm. that's what gets her attention. Anyways, yeah, Mario's not for me. It's a it's a no for me, dog. Kevin. Okay, so I watched the tale of Princess Kaguya. Okay. By uh, Isao Takahata, the same guy who did Grave of the Fireflies and uh, My Neighbors, the Yamadas. And this one, I was, I don't know, like it just, it for me, it just didn't, it didn't click. For one thing, it's entirely too long. It's like two two hours and seventeen minutes. Which is like uh, it's, it's too much. Brutal. Yeah, and like I, you know, like the animation wasn't bad, the voice acting wasn't bad, but I don't know, like the, nothing, nothing about it was like especially compelling. So it was, you know, like really what I was, you know, watching it for was like um, uh, Tatsuya Nakadai's, like I don't know, two minutes as uh as a charcoal maker um <laughs> yeah like um also like i think i meant to i think i meant to say it uh last time but i for anyway i you know lots of people will say oh i love studio ghibli films mhm and what they're really saying is, I love Miyazaki's films. That is true. And, you know, again, you know, like like a lot of things that I bring up, I know, you know, some people will say, oh, Kevin, you're just being nitpicky. Like, you know, just let, you know, whatever. It's like, no, y'all need to understand. Miyazaki is obviously the most famous of Ghibli's, you know, directors, but he is not, you know, the only thing that Studio Ghibli produces. So it's, you know, it may seem like I'm being nitpicky, but it's an important distinction. Yeah, they also produce movies from his son. 
Yeah. I haven't and, seen and Takahata when he, I think he actually has passed, but well, I mean, and you know, not that his movies are bad necessarily, but like like I think people who were like really into, you know, like like people our age who like, you know, talk about like Spirited Away and like, you know, Totoro and stuff, like I don't think that they're immediately going to go to, you know, like this or Pompoco or, you know, I haven't seen the Earthsea movie that Goro Miyazaki did, oh, but I know that um, I know that uh, Ursula Le Guin, who wrote the Earthsea books, like she was just like, "What the fuck did he do to my movie? It's, <laughs> what it's not the good. fuck did he do to my book? Like, it's not good." Yeah, like, uh, I, yeah. I, yeah. Mm. So, so yes, like, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying that the three of us should make it our mission in life to, you know, like every time somebody mentions Ghibli, like, ah, ah, you mean Miyazaki? Like, I just think, you know, I just want to put it out in the universe. Like that's, you know, that's a distinction that needs to be made. It's fair to say though, that Ghibli like wouldn't exist if it weren't for Miyazaki's films. Right. I mean, they're the ones that people actually watch. And they're financially, the you're probably right. Yes. Well, the ones well, that have been distributed like, over here. Right. That's what I mean too. Yeah. They're yeah, like, yeah. Disney owns them now, right? So it's like, no, they don't they're... have they don't have that uh, distribution deal anymore. Oh well, God. they had it for a second, and it's like that's yeah, they did. why, they did. right? Because they're so huge, and they saw that. Um, yeah. yeah. Now G Kids distributes their stuff in the states, which is great because G G Kids, I've talked ad nauseum about their Blu-ray <laughs> releases, so I won't get too much into that again. But like, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm sure, like, in Japan, like, the other directors are probably, you know, looked at probably in the same light as Miyazaki. But, yeah, for, su- for sure, like, because Miyazaki's movies connect with an American audience, that is why they are financially, you know, set. So. All right. Yeah. JR. I like Takahata. I liked Grave of the Fireflies. It's a good movie, but it just kind of it kind of took my soul like Velcro <laughs> and just peeled it apart. You know, like like I feel like Morty Seinfeld right now. You know that tearing sound. Yeah, I like uh, I like Only Yesterday, and I think I liked Kaguya much more than than you did. But, Understandable. Anyway, the um. All right, what what movies did I see? Oh, I watched uh, I watched a weird one. I watched a movie called uh, Fairy Tale from the Russian director Alexander uh, Sokorov, who um, yeah, he did Russian Ark you know, like twenty years ago, and uh, you know still makes just kind of weird formalist experiments. Um, this is a seventy-five minute movie that is uh animated in a style that i could not i just like could not place it and then i saw on a letterboxd review uh from uh, bebe garçon good thank you bebe garçon uh, they they likened it to like guy madden's aesthetic um which is you know like a lot of like black and white kind of old-timey looking animation or backgrounds uh, and this movie uh, depicts a 
a limbo that reminds me of Guy Madden stuff. And in that limbo, we have uh, it's like deep faked versions of Stalin, Churchill, Hitler, Mussolini, Napoleon, and briefly Jesus, um, who are having uh, conversations about uh, politics and war and uh, themselves. And uh, I wish that was, um, I wish the end product was a bit more interesting because uh, I think that sounds really interesting. And the, uh, the final product of these, you know, these basically like animated pulled from like uh, archival footage, like people just kind of walking around and talking to themselves, like and literally sometimes talking to themselves. I'll be like, you know, eight Stalins walking around like the same little area. It's a, uh, it's bizarre, but just like not f interesting to watch. But, like some of like the political philosophy stuff that you get is is interesting and i think there are a few things said to make you know like these people sound like their conversations are, are very timely uh and just like, in a vacuum those things are interesting but um as sort of a movie experiment i don't recommend it mm. is this and, a uh oh, sorry go well what i was sorry i was just about to say and this is not a movie with american distribution so you know I, it's not going to count toward anything for you, John. So it could though, if it gets American, like, it, it this could, year. if it does get it, I'll put it on my list. But like right now it's not on my list. I, I was more just uh, like, I, I, I picked this up cause I was, you know, the director has done some great work that I enjoyed. And this, um, this premise just sounded like something like I got to check this out. I've but, only yeah, ever no, no seen, credit. I've only ever seen Russian Ark, which I liked a lot when I saw it. Um, I've never seen any of his other stuff. I've only seen, I feel like I've seen like six or seven, not that many. We have one called The Sun about um, a Japanese uh, emperor. It's really interesting. That sounds interesting. Yeah. You know, Japanese emperors just on their yeah, own. Interesting. Fuck yeah, bro. Um, okay. Uh, I uh, Okay, so I went back to the theater and saw Bo is Afraid, directed mm. by Ari Aster. This is nice. uh, his latest film. Um, and I did not like his last film at all, Midsommar. Uh, so I was, you know, sort of... Um, tentative about Bo is Afraid. I also uh, sort of like was not like super you know intrigued by anything I saw about it. The trailers didn't do much for me. But um it's a very long movie. It's three hours long. It's a minute shy of three hours. You know they like to do that. Uh, it's, a, it's three hours long and it stars Joaquin Phoenix as Bo. Bo Wasserman who is a uh, a man who lives in a building in a like an apartment uh, building in what I would imagine is New York, but I don't even know if they say what, where it is. He's in like the sort of hyper realized um, crime infested 
RoboCop esque. <laughs> like you know, everybody's a gang member. Uh, people are murdering each other in the streets. Uh, everybody's getting mugged constantly, and he's like this. You know, this poor sort of neurotic uh, mama's boy who lives in this area. And there are sort of like movements to the film. So like only the first, uh-oh. Oh, there. Okay. <laughs> Heard an echo there for a second. Uh, only the first maybe half an hour is in that area. And then he moves to a different area due to the, you know, uh, story progressing. And uh, it's essentially like a, you know, Odyssey-esque tale of this man traveling to see his mother at her home, uh, going home to her. I don't want to, like, say too much. There's, like, a lot of shit that happens that's, like, spoilery. Mm -hmm. And uh, Patti LuPone plays his mother, and she's quite good in the film, I think. I think she's the performance in the movie, if you ask me. Um, I think Joaquin's fine in it, but he's not doing anything super impressive. And uh, Parker Posey shows up at the end, which is lovely, and she's quite good in it also. And, uh, yeah, it's just like it's the first that first half hour to 40 minutes with him in the city in his apartment is like probably the funniest stuff of the year so far. Maybe the funniest stuff of last year, too. It's very funny. <laughs> um and it works very well. And then the rest of the movie, I think, is attempting to be as funny as that for parts of it. I mean, there are parts of it that are actually quite, like, you know, trying to be moving. And, and they are uh, by turns. But it never gets to that level of comedy again. And uh, it also sort of – the reason why this is a sort of like a light four for me is because, like, it indulges in a – like, Astor's, like, clearly influenced by Kaufman – which is weird because Kaufman is like a contemporary, you know, and it's like, it's always, I always find it strange when directors are like influenced by people who, you know, are, aren't older or like much, much, much older. You know what I mean? Uh, like, mm. uh, like, like PTA is influenced by Scorsese or, or Altman, you know, who were making films 20 years before 30 years before him. But Ari Aster is making this film, and it's like there, there is so much aesthetically and direction-wise and dialogue-wise that are just feel like super heavily influenced by uh, by Kaufman's work, especially the stuff that he's just he's directed. Um, it's just just like a tone that's very, very, very similar. So, and I don't know if that's conscious or not. I would have to imagine it is though. Mm. But it is a you know, I like Kaufman's film, so it, it, you know, it's it's still good. I like enjoy it. It's just it's sort of like a copy, so it's not that it's not as interesting. Maybe definitely, yeah. Oh, <laughs> it's, uh, Jared's trying to get his mic set up again. Yeah, it definitely sounds like Kaufman to me. Or like mm -hmm. the, just the premise sounds like Kaufman. Mm. Yeah, I mean um, it's it's in that it's playing in that area for sure. It's like social horror, you know? It's not... Like, Ari Aster's a horror filmmaker. He's known for making horror films, and this is, like, his attempt at making, like, a... The horror is coming from social situations. It's coming from neuroses. It's coming from anxiety. Right? Yeah, there's no, there's no like... Like, the physical danger, you're never sure if it's actually real or inside of his head, that sort of thing, you know? Mm. And there's just this sort of, like, uh, dread that he's attempting to get at, which... 
Kaufman gets that way more successfully. I feel like in um, in Synecdoche and in especially in uh, uh, I'm thinking of ending things. So I don't know. It's not. It's not. It's certainly leaps and bounds better than Midsummer to me. Anyway, I know Midsummer is a very popular film with people. Like this is way better than that to me. But I do feel like it's weird. Like Hereditary feels so. And maybe it's just because, like, maybe it's my own, like, ignorance about where his influences are coming from for those other films. But, like, Midsummer feels super derivative and uninteresting because of that. And this feels derivative of Kaufman's work and other things, which makes it, like, less interesting. But Hereditary feels, like, totally original to me. Like, I don't know. I can't think of a movie that's, like, Hereditary. And, I mean, maybe that's, you know, I sound like a moron saying that. I'm sure there's people who are, like, you know. Hereditary is just like this other movie. You know, I, I don't, I don't know, but I don't, I don't know what it is. It's, um, I mean, the story beats definitely end up being Rosemary's Baby, where like Midsummer sure, yeah. is like Midsummer's the Wicker Man all the way through. Yeah, exactly. Like Midsummer is so much the Wicker Man that it's mm. like it's like way more than Hereditary would be like Rosemary's Baby, in my opinion. Well. N- not not movie wise. No, I understand like, what you mean. Like this, I understand like the yeah, like even yeah. thematically, like there are similarities to, there for sure. It makes yeah, that makes yeah, sense. Yeah. That's a good connection. Like that's an obvious connection, but this doesn't feel like he's 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 not aping Polanski when he makes that, you know what I mean? Right, right. So I don't know. But I, I again I haven't seen Hereditary since the theater, so maybe maybe I'll rewatch it and be like, This is a carbon copy of Rosemary's baby. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, Bo's Afraid, pretty solid. Check it out. It's got a great um, moment in the, uh, I don't know, the end of the second act where there's like a sort of uh, almost like a break from the narrative and it's really, really lovely Mm. and uh, quite wonderfully realized. And I love the ending. And a lot of people have been saying that the ending is not their cup of tea, but I really liked it actually. So one, uh, one great moment in three hours. That's, uh, that's that's why I watch movies. When I said there's the first thirty five minutes were hilarious. So, <laughs> I, it's a four star movie. Think, <laughs> I think I'll have an opportunity to go see this Wednesday if uh, nice. if there are some show times that work, and I really I really hope it that that's still the case. I think that it honestly, I would love it if you both could see it. I know that that's tough mm. for Kevin, but. Uh, like at some point I would love to like have it like hash it out with, with both of you spoilers and all, because I think it would does warrant like a tremendous amount of discussion. Yeah. It's so, um, it's such a bummer that a 24 does like their streaming with a uh, showtime mm. and it just, mm. it seems to be quite a, you know, a length of time between the theater and showing up like on the, the showtime app. Mm-hmm. which I don't have and don't want. How long has that been going on? Uh, a couple of years. I feel like, cause I, I feel know. like their stuff was on, wasn't it on Amazon initially? Mm-hmm. Okay. And then I know it's on canopy too. Like they constantly yeah. dump shit on canopy. They do. They don't do so with their bigger releases, at least okay. for like a long time. Like everything everywhere is still not on canopy. Right. That makes sense. That's their golden goose. Yeah. Well, for sure, but Bo is afraid is definitely one of the more hope high profile right. releases that they'll have this year, uh, and you know, like I don't know, maybe I'll get lucky and like showing up will show up 
on Canopy, the new Kelly Reichardt movie, like in That's, two months. You but, know, mm. I'm dying to see that. And like, I'm seeing people post about it on Letterboxd. And I'm just like, it's not playing here and it's never going to play here. And I'm so pissed it, off. It did play here. And I'm pretty sure I've already missed it, which I'm sucks. not happy about. Dang. That sucks. I love, I love Kelly. I've never seen She's one of really good in the theater. Yeah, I, I would. I have. I'm pretty sure the the one that I saw in theater. I'm pretty sure this is the only one. Rather, uh, it was Wendy and Lucy. You know, mm, way back. Like way back. One. Yeah, apparently, Bo is afraid. Also, is like a massive bomb too. Ooh. It made eight million dollars on a thirty-five million dollar budget, and it's their most expensive movie ever. It's more expensive. Yeah, it's more expensive than uh, than everything everywhere apparently. Wow. Which was the most expensive. I yeah, but I, whatever. I feel like all of their movies lose money. I don't know how they make money. Well, uh, no, because everything everywhere cost twenty five and it made one hundred and forty. Yeah, but that's good. They haven't had yeah, but no other movie they have produced has been anything like that. I mean. I'm sure they have mild successes. I mean, yeah, I mean something like, like something like Ex Machina and Moonlight won Best Picture. I mean, like Ex Machina probably mm. has made its money back. I mean, it, it made made forty Heredit- million, fifteen million dollar. Did they do? Did they put out Hereditary? Uh have they done every Ari Aster movie? Pretty sure. Yeah, they, they did. They did. It made eighty six million. That's their second highest grossing movie. Midsummer mm. did okay. The whale. Too, didn't right? Uncut Gems. All these mm. movies are fairly successful. The Whale right. made money. Yeah, The Whale made uh, fifty-three million on Jesus. a three-three million dollar budget. God, Very small budget. Fifty-three million dollars worth of people that had to sit through that piece of shit. <laughs> <sighs> Lady Bird. Are they pretty? Are they putting out Barbie? I don't think so, but I could be wrong. No. Okay. No, they're not putting they're, up Barbie because they put yeah. If they're doing bar, if they did Barbie, that would be huge. Right. Um, and Barbie, I guess like they a, didn't do Little Women either. Did oh, they? that's right. No, they didn't. Mm. Well, it doesn't appear that they did. Let me see. Mm. No, they didn't. It's Sony. Barbie is Warner Bros. and Mattel. Oh, okay. Of course. Oh, right. Because it's a yeah. They, that's an IP. They can't. They can't just jump on that. Yeah. Oh. <sighs> Anyway, that's um. Sorry, that's it for Bo is afraid. I have nothing else to say about it. Mm-hmm. I don't know who goes next. Kevin. Um, it's Kevin. Okay. Yeah, ahead. I guess so. Um, so that's pretty much it until we get to the um homework and the deep dive. But um, I have been watching um, I'm two thirds of the way through Great Expectations. Um, on Hulu, oh, the TV show, yeah, 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 which is um, it's fine so far. Um, my wife and I watched this Netflix miniseries called Obsession about um, Richard Armitage having an affair with his son's fiance, and uh, let me tell you that that is a trip. Um, it's just, you know, like, like you're just looking at all these characters the entire time. And it's like, y'all know therapy exists, right? But no, I guess, you know, if, if they did know, then, you know, they wouldn't have a show. Uh, (laughs) But, uh, and eventually we plan on finishing beef 
the also A24 uh, vehicle yeah. of uh, Steven Yeun and Ali Wong, which, I mean, there's there's some very, like, cringy moments in this in the show, but, I mean, so far it's entertaining. And I, uh, I, really I want to see f- how it ends, you know? Yeah, I watched four episodes, and I think that I will finish it. I, I liked the four episodes. Yeah, I mean the the ver- the ending of the very first one like really caught me off guard because like I'm watching this thing and then out of nowhere, Hoobastank is playing. I'm like, that's you know the reason or disappear. Yeah, exactly. Oh, okay. You know, I had heard having a moment Hoobastank yeah. before the reason, but I cannot tell you for the life of me what that was. Um, I because like pull I, I know like the song, the, but. Yeah, like I know they like open for um a friend of mine is a big uh free ele- 311 fan and they have like, you know, they had 311 day like every other year in New Orleans and they've had it in Vegas a couple of times. But um the first time he saw them Hoobastank was the um opening act. So Yeah, so they, you know, I wonder if I don't know if they're going to get quite the same resurgence as uh um, Master of Puppets or Running Up That Hill. I mean, Hoobastank, Hoobastank was never big that big. I mean, I don't think. I mean, I well, think that, it, that one song was like a hit for like a week. <laughs> like, you know. They had, I, you know. They had um, several songs like on the Billboard Hot 100, but that, uh, you know, whatever. Hoobastank yeah. is, was also just kind of like a joke, even in the moment. Um, yeah. <laughs> Just that name, like, you know. Yeah. That's that's one of those, like, it's like you start off with this, like, gimmick that'll get you noticed, and then, you know, you can't get away from it. <laughs> You're like, no, we're, like, serious musicians. We do serious music. And it's like, hey, but your name is Hoobastank. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> oh, wow. They, uh, sorry. I'm looking at a, a list of all the A24 films. Uh-huh. And the ones that are coming out. Did I know? Did you guys know about this? There's a Jerry Lee Lewis movie coming out that's directed by Ethan Cohen. Oh, uh, I think I did see something yeah, about didn't this. Didn't that play a festival? Did it? I never even heard about this. Yeah, I played Cannes last year. Sure enough. Oh. I never even heard about it. I think I saw like a line about it on like their Wikipedia page or something, but nothing more than that. That's cool. Yeah, it's nothing not, that would have made me. It doesn't have any. Yeah, it doesn't have like a release date or anything. Mm. Like it doesn't. I don't guess it's gotten any distribution yet. But a lot of cool stuff coming. Mm. New Sean Durkin, new Alex Garland, new Jonathan Glazer, David Michaud. I'm psyched. <laughs> anyway, um, who are we on? <laughs> Jr. Yeah. Jr. Yeah, I can uh I can wrap things up soon. Um and then I guess Kevin you and I can talk uh talk homework sure next time. Um I watched a Romanian movie called RMN. It's from uh Christian Manju who did uh you know 4 months 3 weeks 2 days. Um and this is a movie about a guy who it's like working in um, in Germany and is Romanian and returns home 
quits his job in a, in a huff and returns home to his Romania village. And this is in Lake Transylvania. And it's like a very like a multilingual city. Some people speak German. Some people speak Romanian. Some people speak uh, another language that I forgot, honestly, at this point. It's been a few weeks. Um, and... This guy, honestly, he's sort of like a sort of our unlikable uh, audience surrogate for what kind of goes on in this town. Um, the bakery to uh, cut costs and because no one in the town wants to work for the bakery uh, hires two migrants. We're going to move from uh, from South Asia and. This creates a whole immigration thing with a lot of racism. <laughs> and uh, it is the second Romanian movie that I've seen in a couple of years that involves uh, was basically like a, a town square meeting. Uh, and that meeting is really fascinating. <clears throat> uh, but yeah, this goes uh, to some interesting places and I thought it was really good. And again, our, our, our main guy isn't, really our main guy but he does some uh, some pretty crazy things and it's uh yeah it's just it's good it's just good guys these romanian movies they're just so sexy just good <laughs> yeah that movie about just abortion good. just a good movie sexy so sexy no but but like it, they're it's interesting like it's a movie where it's like man I should probably find this to be like way too didactic and I, and I don't. Um, and it's not like it's without any nuance or, or subtlety, but some of the stuff it's doing seems like it is, uh, just like if, or to say it out loud, it's like, Oh, that's just like hitting me over the head with uh, something pretty obvious, but it doesn't play out that way. All right. Um, I guess I'll just talk. I, I'll say briefly that I rewatched the proposition because we were talking about um, John Hillcoat's going to direct um, an adaptation of Blood Meridian. Apparently, you know, who knows if that'll actually happen. But um, so I rewatched the proposition because I remember I have this memory of Roper on Ebert and Roper saying that this movie reminded him of blood meridian and that he thought it was unfilmable until he saw the proposition and the vi- the length that we could go and get violence and sort of this gross sort of uh you know everything's sort of dirty in this movie and sweaty and there's so many like bugs yeah there are lots of flies in this um but i could not find that clip i looked for that clip everywhere online and could not find them reviewing the proposition on ebert and roper i did find them talking about it coming to video but not the actual theatrical review. Anyway, so maybe maybe I invented this in my head. Who knows? Uh, but yeah, I rewatched it. It's uh, not as quite as enthralling as I remember it being, and I do not like the score nearly as much as I remember liking it, which is by what's his face, Nick, Nick Cave, Cave. one else. Yeah, um, which has like lyrics, which I do think is kind of an interesting idea because like. How many scores have lyrics? You know what I mean? It's like weird. Uh, but they also has like electric guitar and shit in it, which I'm not into. Like, I don't like it when they, you know, it's like not period. It's, takes me out of it. Um, 
but you know it's definitely good it's definitely Hillcoat's like leaps and bounds of everything else he's done um disappointing career yeah yeah it's just a really sad just a high point to start with and then to descend so quickly and i think danny houston's like really miscast as the older brother who's supposed to be like scary and evil and i just do not get any of that from him i don't know anyway uh oh and on i was gonna say also just one more comment about the proposition proposition is that it definitely feels like it's Ray Winston's movie. Like, it's his narrative that you're following through about 85% of it. But you would never know that from, like, the imagery that you see online about it. Like, it's, you know, Guy Pierce is the star. It's about him going to find his brother. But it's, like, very little of it's about that. It's mostly about Ray Winston trying to tame this savage land, as he keeps saying, you know. Yeah. So. Classic, um, uh, classic Western, you know, premise. Yeah, and he's True. he's quite good in it. He and Emily Watson have a sort of uh, interesting dynamic with each other. Anyways, finally, I watched Renfield. Renfield is from this year. It stars Nicolas Cage as Dracula and Nicholas Holt as Renfield. And it's like a modern um, update of the Dracula story. Not really. It's like it's like it's like a sequel to the Dracula story. And they're in New Orleans, of course. Uh, because Nicolas Cage lives there and, uh, you know, and it's cheap to film and, uh, Aquafina is in this as a police officer who helps Renfield to, I don't know, extricate himself out of the familiar relationship he has with, uh, Nicolas Cage. This is a really sort of, uh, not good movie. This is like Cocaine Bear, in fact, in a lot of ways. Mm. It's a it's a bloody sort of CG blood, bad toilet humor. Um, <laughs> every once in a while, you get Nicolas Cage in there doing a really over the top sort of you know his Nicolas Cage thing, which is sort of fun in a way, but it's way too self aware now. Like he seems like he seems like he's totally aware of who he is in meme culture. And it's just not fun anymore. And, uh, yeah, it's not funny almost at all. There there was, like, two moments where I chuckled a little bit. Uh, but, yeah, this is pretty much garbage. So don't watch it. Stay far away. Uh, yeah, I will. Oh, also, Chris McKay, the director, who also directed the Lego Batman movie and the Tomorrow War <laughs> um, he seems to have gone to the school of uh, the guy who directed Kick Ass. What the fuck's that guy's name? And Kingsman, uh, Matthew Vaughn. Uh, right? Yeah. It's that, that he's there. It's the exact same style of action. The exact mm. like level of blood. Everything's choreographed. Everybody knows martial arts. It's atrociously bad. <laughs> and it makes me want to cry. And it's weird that Matthew Vaughn also did X-Men First Class, which has none of that. It's just so strange. Matthew Vaughn has such such great potential. <sighs> did he do Layer Cake? Yeah, he did Layer Cake. He did okay. Layer Cake. He did Stardust. Yeah. Which is wonderful. Is it? I love Stardust. I really do. I never saw it. Charlie Cox. S- it's just a fun time. Hmm. It's just a fun. It's just a fun time at the movies. <laughs> I'm gonna check it out at some point. 
I always get this movie confused with um, what's the sequel to Jumanji? Oh, Z- Zathura. Uh, yeah, Zathura. I always get this confused with Zathura. Isn't oh, Zenyuro in that too? Jumanji. What the fuck? Yeah, I think uh, Dax Shepard's in that. Oh wow, he is, and Kristen Stewart. Hmm. And Why have Robbins. you guys seen Zathura? And also, how is this a sequel to Jumanji? I don't know anything about it. I have, it, I, I have not seen Zathura. Neither have I. I just, but Zathura I is just a know of it. It says it's a space-themed board game that has mystical powers. That's how it's a ah, sequel. Okay. And I believe it's like from it's like from the same writer or something. I don't okay. know. I remember hearing at some point that it was related to Jumanji. I wonder if it's like a Jumanji is a novel, right? I, I wonder if it's the same. It's a picture. Yeah. There you go. Picture it's probably the se- sequel to the picture book, you know. Yeah, which is weird because the the guy who did the book, he also did uh, Polar Express. There you go. So gross. Never forgive him for making us see that. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think the other sequel to Jumanji is Jumanji: Welcome to the Jungle. Those aren't sequels to the. And that stars Karen you. Gillan. Karen what? Gillan is in. Is Karen Gillan in that? Yeah, and she's in the Guardians movie. What's your? Sorry, what are you it. saying? What are you? What are you? Like, I'm like sorry. six degrees of Karen Gillan. Yeah, what point are you making right now? I don't understand. Well, no point. Okay. No point. I didn't even know that she was in this. Karen Gillan. All I knew is The Rock and Kevin Hart and Jack Black. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and she's the fourth member of that group she she is distinctly lower tier on the celebrity scale than those three, she so. is um, but she is like the <laughs> sorry she's like this actual second main character because i believe it she's like the second member of the of the romance bobby cannavale plays van pelt oh my god <laughs> wow embarrassing alex wolf speaking of hereditary okay oh. so uh, i'm out you guys want to talk the homework? Yeah. Um, so we were assigned the Catherine Bigelow vampire film Near Dark because we lost <laughs> on Letterboxd Roulette last week. You know what's crazy? I mm. saw you post. I saw you log this, and then I saw, and then I was like, "Oh, that's cool." Kevin watched Near Dark, and no, no recollection that you had to watch this. <laughs> and then I saw Jr. log it today, and I remember thinking like. Oh, JR watching your dark. Some other guy I follow watching your dark. I can't remember who that was. <laughs> I had no recollection that you guys had to watch this at all. Oh, wow. Go ahead. Uh, so, um, so clearly, given the one star difference in our uh, ratings, uh, JR liked this better than I did. So, um, JR, uh, what do you think? Why did you like this, Jr.? <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I, I had seen this before, and uh, I remembered liking it. But uh, Near Dark is like I like that it is sort of quick, and I like that it is dirty, and I like sort of like the how the first half hour is all like atmosphere, and after that, and after. Um, Adrian Pazdar, uh, who is probably the weakest performance in this film, um, 
bummer to have your main character be the weakest performer. I don't. I, I don't know that I agree. He's the weakest. Who do you think? Like the father. He thinks the little the kid. Is the the little kid vampire is oh. the weakest performer. He's terrible. Yeah, he. But he also Homer, like that guy's he has, the worst. <laughs> he has so many fewer I mean, lines than the rest of the of the vampires. No, fair enough. If we're going, if we're going based on that, then yeah, Pazdar okay. is not good. Obviously, like I'm not defending Pazdar because Pazdar is just in, he's just in the whole fucking thing. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, once he has not just turned, but once he is like just firmly with them, uh, caught again, maybe, uh, and they're on their way to the bar. I, I think that the movie gets pretty intense uh, and I like the way that it gets intense. Like the, the bar scene mm-hmm. where they, oh, the bar scene is amazing. It, the, the intensity of that scene. And like when they murder the, the server, mm-hmm. uh, which is the, I think it's the, the first kill in there. It's like, Whoa, like they just pulled out a knife and they just did that real quick. Cause like the server was not on my radar as like, she's going to be the first to go here. Uh, the interaction with the the patron, the bartenders, like those just seemed like like they're being dispatched first, and then it's like woo, and then and then we're off. And um, I think the like the shootout with the uh, the police a few minutes later, as you know, like the the holes of sunlight are being shot into into that dingy little room. Uh, I just I love uh, the intensity of these scenes, and I love the way that they are shot, and just it's like that sort of perfect. Um, not perfect, but it's just like this this distinct style of of low budget '80s grime that uh, it just plays 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 well. And then you know, like the movie doesn't totally work uh, because you know, then it's just like, hey, blood transfusion, Dad, you can perform this real quick, right? And uh, you know, it's like it, it, they they kind of cop to like this happy ending thing. It feels like that just. It feels like it could have kept going in a darker direction. Um, but, you know, uh, you liked it. Uh, you did not like it. Sorry. So it's when uh, you don't like the bar scene. Yeah. How dare you? <laughs> no, the bar scene is fine. Like, you know, like, yeah, it's it's intense. And like for, for what it is, like that little that little part, you know, is obviously the best part of the movie. Like, for me, though, it's, like, I don't know, like, I like, it's, I, you know, intellectually, I like its length. But at the same time, it's, like, its length doesn't give it room to breathe. Like, the narrative moves too fast for what it's trying to do. Because, like, you know, like, later on, you know, when they're, like, when they're at the hotel and uh, Homer sees... Like he sees um, Adrian Pazdar's little sister. He doesn't know it at that time, Sarah, but like he, see, her he sees is. her, and like he's like, you know, like this is the start of like where we're supposed to start feeling sympathetic to the vampires, at least this one vampire. And it's like, you know, like obviously, you know, he's stuck in a kid's body and he's lonely, and you know, um, he has to deal with stuff that the other characters don't. But like we don't get we don't get enough time spent on that kind of thing because, you know, and especially since the rest of them are just, you know, beer drinkers, hell raisers and whatever, you know, like um, Lance Henderson and Jeanette Goldstein. They're a couple, 
and you know Bill Paxton is freewheeling and whatever. Um, so, and yeah, like the the whole thing with the blood transfusion thing is like, you know, I mean, it's the it's the eighties. It's a horror movie, you know, suspension of disbelief. But uh, but yeah, and like yeah, I think Pazdar's performance is pretty poor. Jenny, what's her face? Who was in right. the wall? Yeah, uh, her performance is pretty like <clears throat> bland, especially can you know compared to like, I mean, I guess it's not exactly fair to compare them to you know Bill Paxton and Lance Henriksen and Jeanette Goldstein, you know, like the people three, who just like just filmed you know, kind aliens. of powerhouses, you know, <laughs> yeah, but um, and yeah, like you know, like his you know his dad and like the keystone cops you know it's like what you know like why are they why are they in here you know it's just like they're it's like they're put in there because like oh yeah like that's a thing that's happening so we have to do scenes for it but like other than that it's not really important that's that's true like the we have to do scenes for a thing It, it does feel like um you know whether it was Catherine Bigelow or whoever else worked on the script was Eric Red, yeah, was was very interested in like hitting some um, some genre, um, you know, touchstones or tropes or mm. yeah, like a sh- it seems like the shootout was important to be in there because uh, they they wanted a shootout. Yeah, I mean this this is like Near Dark is one of those things where like I think it would have benefited from not necessarily being longer as a feature, but like as like a mini series, like it probably would have worked a little better. Cause then like all these ideas would have had time to like be fleshed out. Um, and you know, just better thought through, I guess. Yeah. I, part of me is like, I'm happy that there is not an obsession with lore. And I feel like a miniseries would get like so bogged down in that, like a, a modern like a miniseries made now. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, it's like Lance Henry's, uh you know, mentions that he fought for the South when asked how old he is. But like, other than that, there's not a ton of background here, and we're not using the word vampire, so it's like mm-hmm. uh, it's just it's it doesn't have like the baggage that can get really annoying with, uh, with this genre. And I, I enjoyed that. I, I was happy for just to be like superhuman outlaws. Um, yeah. I like the, I like the fact that they're like, um, like modern day, like Dillinger sort of, you know, like they're like, uh, like they're on the run and they're ready to like gunfight with cops. And the fact that they fight with guns is awesome. Like that. They're not, you know, necessarily using their, um, like only using their superhuman abilities. Like they have like pistols and shotguns and shit that they fight with. I think that's really cool. <laughs> I really, I like, yeah. I like, I obviously like near dark a lot. Um, yeah. a big, it's, I think it's a stems from like, um, liking Catherine Bigelow as a filmmaker in the late eighties and early nineties. Like she was, she was cranking them out of the park back then. I'll tell you for me anyway. And, uh, th- this and blue steel and point break are like, uh, high marks for me. Mm. and strange so funny. to a lesser extent i so you know two of those i i watched in film school 
Strange Days and uh, Blue Steel. Mm. Uh, did not love Blue Steel when I saw it. I'll, I would like to revisit that. And I, I, the first time I saw Near Dark was also while in film school. Um, and I remember liking this one more than the other two. But uh, I I need to go. I need to go. I need to dive back in. Because I barely remember Strange Days. Hey, Kevin, you haven't seen Blue Steel? No. I should have made this a deep I didn't know you hadn't seen it that long, JR. I would have made this a deep dive at some point. Mm. You mean you still can? I still might. I still Ooh. haven't seen it. I'm all for it. I know. I, I just don't, haven't I don't seen want, it in 15 years. I don't want JR to, uh, to uh, you know, go watch it, though. <laughs> <laughs> don't watch it. I haven't it. seen. Uh, yeah, I haven't don't seen watch K-19. Blue Steel, Jr. Yeah. Can I watch K nineteen? Am I allowed? Yeah, to you can it? watch that. That's a piece of shit. No, it's not a piece <laughs> of shit. It's just not that great. It's kind of uh, slow why? and sluggy. Mm. Has she just like not done anything since Detroit? I yeah, guess. man. She's Which, out. Like I thought Detroit sucked. It's horrible. Mm. Detroit is the worst. What happened? Like what? Didn't she do TV? Happen? I think she directed like a TV episodes or something. Oh, okay. Maybe. Mm. Although I could be making that up. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway. Um all right. Well let's uh let's get to our main review, shall we? Mm-hmm. Let's get into it. This is uh my pick this week, which is okay, her last directing credit was Apple iPhone thirteen Pro Hollywood in your pocket. So mm. commercial for the iPhone. And before that, she did a short film called I Am Not a Weapon. Mm. But yeah, she hasn't directed anything we since need, then. We need to get Catherine Bigelow a job. Now, this is the strange. Three of us, I don't know how the three of us can pull that off. but She's got a movie coming out called Aurora, a divorced mother who must now do everything she can to protect her teenager and a strange brother, a wealthy Silicon Valley CEO who has built a luxurious bunker in the desert for such a, just such a disaster. Mm-mm. There's just no way that like Detroit, like there's no way Detroit's the reason she's not made stuff, right? Like Detroit I was, pre- a, I'm pretty sure it bombed. So it bombed, but it it wasn't like a like a critical bomb. Like I think people uh, still liked wasn't, it. Right? I, mean, I thought people were sort of mixed about it. Our Rotten Tomatoes is 82%, which I guess would be low for her, but also Rotten Tomatoes is stupid. Can well, 82 is not here. It's not bad at like no like. Uh, overall, though, right? Yeah, it only made twenty six million against a forty million dollar budget. So. Mm. Seventy seven on Metacritic. So again, seems like many critics liked it, but that 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 counts as generally favorable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I hated it. I don't know. I thought it was. I thought it was way bad. Terrible. But yeah. um, you know, very just heavy handed bullshit. I have uh, uh, I have Googled. For some reason, I have Googled multiple movies that star Will Poulter tonight. Keep, <laughs> keeps just seeing his picture. Guardians 3. Also, yeah, also He's Guardians. He's got, he, got, he got buffed up for that one. Karen um, Gillen. Yeah. <laughs> A movie that doesn't star Karen Gillen is 1997's Private Parts, directed by Betty Thomas and starring Howard Stern, Robin Quivers, uh, Mary McCormick and Paul Giamatti, among others. And uh, this is the uh, true story of uh, Howard Stern's life from his childhood on to where he became the number one radio DJ in 
New York at least. I don't know if they go past that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's uh, it's based on Fartman. It does, yeah. It does sort of, uh, yeah. It starts at Fartman. For Fartman is the framing narrative. Uh, mm. <laughs> it's, it's based on his autobiograph, auto, autobiography, uh, also called Private Parts, which was a huge bestseller in the late '90s. Um, and uh, yeah, so this is uh, this is my pick, and uh, I picked it because I'll say off the top. <laughs> I'm terrified to say this. I'm not even going to lie. You love the movie. Just say you love the movie. I, of course, love the movie. But I will say, I think this is this might be the most underrated comedy of all time. I think this is one of the funniest movies in the history of cinema. <laughs> I, there. I said so it. From the start, there's just like nothing. There's nothing like for us to do with this. Because I think that if you like... If you like, you really like Howard Stern. Mm. I think that's going to be true. No, yeah. wrong. You like Howard Stern. You're you're not the voice of objectivity here. No, I do like Howard Stern, but that is not the reason I think this movie is the funniest movie in cinema history. <laughs> one <laughs> one of the funniest in the top ten, let's say, for right. me. This is obviously comedy is like the most subjective thing. I think. Mm. Yeah. Um, so. And I do, and I am a Howard Stern fan, uh, especially. Um, there's like a run from like 2000 and from like 2000 to like 2009 when uh, when Artie Lang was on the show. Very, very, very funny stuff for me. I, I think I, I listen to it all the time on YouTube, and um, uh, I don't get into him so much anymore. Like the stuff he's doing. like he like he was interviewing a TikTok celebrity the other day on a show. And I was just like, what is going on? Like, what, like who, like I, I've never thought I'd see the day that Howard Stern would be interviewing what? a TikTok celebrity. I it's, thought he like interviewed all kinds of people. Yeah. He interviews like, all kinds of people, people, but, famous people. Like, no, no, no. But, but the, the, the Howard Stern. Okay. For one, Howard Stern is like, he's been extremely critical of like internet influencer culture and stuff like that. Like he doesn't, mm. he doesn't take any of that seriously or he hasn't yeah, in the past stepping on his corner. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like he thinks like he, I remember there's a, uh, there's like a clip from, from him talking about Joe Rogan when Joe Rogan was sort of, um, had just made the deal with Spotify mm-hmm. and he was saying like, you can't really be successful as a broadcaster unless you start in terrestrial radio. Like that's the way, cause that's the way he started, you know, and yeah. he's got, like, he's got this old man mentality and it's like, he doesn't understand that. Like that's, that's dinosaur thinking, you know, and that podcasts are where it's at now. And, mm. um, well, it's just like, no one fucking listens to the radio except for the people that listen to Howard Stern. Well, it's on, like, he's on satellite now. So it's like yeah. hard to listen to him now, but mm. it's just, but like, I know, like, I think my dad, like, still pays for satellite radio for Howard Stern. Oh, wow. Really? Oh, huh. I don't know anybody who listens to Howard Stern. <laughs> I honestly, I'm like the only guy I know who like watches old clips of Howard Stern show and stuff like that. But, um, well, my dad does not do that, but my dad oh, well, does I mean, who listens listen at him. all. I mean, like, I don't listen to his, I can't, I can't, his, like him now is just a, such a sort of neutered version of who he, who he was. I mean, cause he's, he's also like become like sort of a, a well-regarded interviewer over the last mm. 10 or 15 years. And, you know, he's interviewed like very, very like high profile, like Hillary Clinton and Paul McCartney and Billy Joel. And like a lot of like, and he did the Bruce Springsteen interview, which is on HBO. Well, yeah. Have. Cause, because he was like, oh, wait, people like this from Mark Maron. Wow. 
And he's I, don't think, I don't I really don't think that's the guy. I, I think I think that uh I mean maybe maybe that's part of it. But I think that Hillary he also Clinton, will you fuck a speaker? Huh? I said Hillary Clinton, will you fuck a speaker? <laughs> yeah, so he doesn't get into that kind of shit with her. Like he won't he he's he's smart about like when he's interviewing like super respectable people, like he doesn't he won't he's way more like um guarded with his questioning than he is mm-hmm. if you were interviewing Gary Coleman or something, you know. <laughs> then he'll ask if like he, you know, do you go down on your wife? Well, how's that? How's that? <laughs> you know, like that kind of thing. You know, it's like it's very like uh sort of raunchy and stuff. But um but yeah, what I was, my point was that private parts for me is funny, but I don't think it's necessarily um it has it has elements of what makes Howard's show funny. But I just think it's like genuinely like there are moments there like the writing in it is just very good. Like the writing is funny. Like some of the lines are very, very funny to me. And like the way that they uh portray things is humorous to me. And I think the movie is well directed. Like it's directed in a very sort of just sort of um conventional way and it doesn't get in the way of anything, which I like. Uh, I mean, just for instance, I hate to like, just bring it, like bring up a moment and say, this moment is funny because obviously no one's going to find this moment funny when I say it is, but the, the depends. I, I'm, I noted a few and he's narrating and he says he, uh, he couldn't get laid. So he turned to drugs. Right. And he says, but pot made me paranoid. And the second he says, pot made me paranoid. It's like, pan, it's like closing in on him on his, in his room. And he like flips around in his chair to look cause he's paranoid. <laughs> I I crack up at that. I find that very hysterical. I don't know. I mean, that's just a funny joke. So that that is interesting because, like, <laughs> it's interesting you find that funny because that was a moment where, uh, so we're still in the phase where, uh, like, just my journey with this movie was like, oh, this is gonna be like my least favorite movie that we've ever, <laughs> uh, just because like Howard Stern wouldn't shut up. Like the the narration, <laughs> I knew that was gonna be a problem would, for you. I knew it, it was. was a huge problem, but also because he's like just it, like a moment like that. He's just like, but the pot made me paranoid, and then we jump. Well, that's like the most obvious thing to do there. But like, <laughs> but like, it works because you because you coward, you won't shut up. And I understand that. Like, there's a lot of stuff going on with this movie, like about Howard and uh, there's like a meta element to it, and there's like a lot of intentional myth making, and so like. And how, like, one of Howard's things is that he's not going to shut up. He doesn't shut up. He doesn't want to shut up. Mm-hmm. Um, so, there being narration like that, I guess, kind of makes sense. But I kind of like 45 minutes in, I finally felt like Howard was letting the movie just like breathe. Yeah, he stops like, narrating. Finally... When he becomes an adult, he stops narrating. When he gets his job at the radio yes. station, he doesn't narrate hardly anymore. And it's and it's like, thank God, man. <laughs> I was I was ready for that to be done, but I. I did like I did laugh in this movie and um I don't think I laughed before he got a job though. Um and, and when so I think the I, my funniest moment was uh when like his not his first manager but the manager at uh guys this Detroit I, I can't remember which city he's in. Yeah. Uh but he's like you got to say the time and the temperature like four times, four times an hour. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And, and he's just like talking about how his grandmother died last night. Uh, (laughs) That is a good, they said said she had a car accident. 
by the way, uh, 6.45, the temperature's 58 <laughs> degrees. That, was, that uh, is good stuff. That's that was great stuff. <laughs> there, there are moments like that where, you know, he reacts to the uh, the bullshit his, his management gives him. That was, uh, that was pretty funny. Kevin, what do you think? It's funny. It's funny, John. There is funny stuff. Thank you. <laughs> well, so I, the- I, 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 before, before Kevin says what he thinks, I don't like the I don't no talking, like this, Kevin. this sort of attitude that we have to have. Where like, this is my pick, right? Uh, I love this movie. You guys feel free to feel any way you want about this movie. This oh, is yeah. your, your opinion, right? And like, you don't have to agree that this is funny. A funny movie. Uh, comedy again. I think comedy is a weird one. Like we we rarely talk about comedies on this show, um, and it's a, it's what stopped me from choosing this for so long is because it's just like it's it is super specific, you know. Um, and I agree with, sort of with Jr. saying that you know if you if you like Howard Stern, obviously you're going to be a fan of this movie. I think most like you know most Howard Stern fans are fans of this movie. Like there's nobody who's like uh, does it really capture him or something. You know what I mean? It's like it's you know if you like Howard Stern, you well, like this movie, and it's and I it, it kind of goes both ways where it's like I it's an uphill battle for me where like I not that I'm like super familiar with Howard Stern, but like just like my gut reaction whenever like you bring up Howard Stern is like, oh, I, don't, I don't like Howard Stern. Why would I like Howard Stern? Um, so yeah. like, I, I go into this with like, a, <laughs> I don't understand this man. That's the, and I, and I it feels care. like, and I'll say that that feels like the general consensus for people who don't listen. Like the, it feels like the 1993 consensus of who Howard Stern is, right? He's a guy who does like no, no. raunchy humor on the radio, and he's bad no, and like for, funny, and he's you know he's we, for, should, we should get him off the air, that kind of thing. So I think for for people for people my age, mm-hmm. you know, let's say you know 35 year olds, people like right. around my age, which I is also you guys, but uh, <laughs> you know, it's like if if you weren't listening, if you weren't sort of dialed in, and you just like turned on e at two in the morning and you yeah. got just Fuck yeah howard <laughs> interviewing like some naked woman with her you know with the with the, the pixelated boobs going on you're just like what is going on here but also it. like you're you're 13 so you're not changing the channel um, of course because they're <laughs> pixelated breasts um and then that's that's like all you know until like a few years later he's like a judge on a shitty reality talent show and <laughs> and then like after that like the only times you like hear about Howard Stern or when you hear that he signed a massive like contract with satellite radio and then just like when he complains and i i prepped something for this exact conversation cuz like 2 days ago Howard Stern is in the news for just like the dumbest shit i've ever heard and like i've been like trying to get more context uh and i you know i don't listen to a show so like I can't actually hear like how he was talking about it, but Howard Stern was complaining uh, a few days ago about how the like when he goes to, s- to sit at a basketball game, mm-hmm. like he sits courtside, and he's like the players won't talk to me. They'll come talk to Spike Lee, and they'll talk to um, to Kevin Hart, but they won't talk to me. And he like goes into like how it like it just like hurts him that like they won't say hi. And he gets into like, does everything have to be racial now? And I was like, oh my god, Howard, um, these yeah. twenty people <laughs> don't know who you fucking are you weirdo. 
Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you might not know who Spike Lee is either, but like Spike Lee's been sitting courtside at basketball games for like every time they watch an old basketball game, they see Spike Lee. They know who Kevin Hart is because he's like he, famous. Okay. I will so, say weird. No, no, no. I completely agree with everything you're saying. And the uh this is part of Stern's issue now is that he's 70 years old and that he thinks that it's still 1994 and that he's still the king of all media and that people know who he is and this is why the reference is spike lee because he thinks it's still 1994 Mm. and that like you know what i mean and that he's still like reggie miller's on the court or something you know that obviously the players aren't necessarily going to know who he is this is, you know, uh, uh, and, and this is also just fodder for his show. He's recording from his apartment for the last three years since COVID started, right? He's super insulated. He, uh, doesn't have the, the way the show worked up until COVID was that he had like a crew and the crew was the show outside of the interviews. Right. It was mm. like, the, what are the, what's the crew doing? Who's not getting along with each other? They're fighting with this guy or this guy did this on the weekend. Let's talk about it. And that's sort of like dissipated tremendously because now everybody's like just Skyping in and it's, you know, so they're not in the room together. They can't do anything. There Wait, is, is Robin, is Robin still there? Yeah. She Skypes in from her, okay. uh, her apartment. Uh. But they, that, like, they still like have they a should go. They should probably yeah. go into work now. It's been, on, a, been on a show for 10 years and he won't even put me in the credits. <laughs> right. So, but they, uh, well, they just did their, uh, they just went to Miami cause they have a new Miami studio and they recorded from Miami for like a week mm. and they were all in the same studio. Wait, then that's, that's but, where Howard feels safe. Yeah, I know. It's weird, dude. But even that felt like really contrived and like not genuine because they were all they like everybody on the show in the studio at once just standing at mics talking and that's never the way the show worked it was always people would come in from the back when they had something to say but anyways yeah so i mean i just think he's super out of touch at this point and i mean i'm not that's not a, like a new thing to say like everybody all of his fans like if you go to look at those youtube videos where he's interviewing that tiktok star people are like what the fuck is he doing like who why is he talking to this like no one about like vapid shit like her acne and how she didn't feel beautiful at first and, I was just, and it's just like well, this is not like something that how it's like it's beneath him you know but um but anyways yeah i mean so as far as like his 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 show goes it, it seemed better days but like but i mean i completely commiserate with the idea of like finding his show on e that's how i got introduced to him and i was I watched it because it was entertaining. You know, I kept watching it. Like, I watched it all the time when it was on E until it stopped being on E anymore. And then I started watching on YouTube. So that's how I got into it. Sorry, Kevin, we never got your feelings. I apologize. Go ahead. <laughs> Sorry, Kevin. That was my bad. Well, it's so funny. Like, like this, you know, this this isn't quite what I was going to say. But, like, the funny thing about, like, watching this movie and then, you know, think, you know, like, people being, like, ragging on him for, you know, talking to this person about their acne and not feeling beautiful. It's like, like that's kind of like the Howard Stern that we see on, you know, the, um, on the air is very much like, you know, that's the kind of the point of the movie. Like that's not who he is as a person, you know, like, like sure he has those opinions and it's kind of like the ramped up version of himself, but like, he's actually a very, you know, quiet, you know, um, family man and et cetera, et cetera. Anyway, um, my bit, like the first thing I noted about this movie was how young Howard looked. 
Because, mm-hmm. like, I, you know, I watch clips of him occasionally, like, when he's, like, you know, it's more like the modern stuff. But I've seen, like, some older interviews that, like, like he had uh, Henry Rollins on and, you know. Henry Rollins was like shitting on Bono, and it's like I'm always yeah. there. I'm always there for Great a clip. video about <laughs> Let's shit somebody on Bono, shitting yeah. on Bono. Um, he talks about yeah. how he get, how he gets uh, <laughs> that same interview. He he, he tell he's like he's like you work out a lot, right? And he's like, yeah, man. He goes, he's like, I gotta get buff like you, man. How do you do that? I lift weights all the time, and I can't. I got these spindly arms and everything. Yeah, and yeah. then he tells about his workout routine and like he, how he eats oatmeal in the morning and shit. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, great interview with Henry Rollins. Go ahead, Kevin. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, like, um, like, so one of the things that struck me about the, about the movie was how, like, so I guess I knew at a certain point, but like, it never connected to me that Howard Stern was Jewish, but then watching this movie and seeing his extreme self-deprecation, you know, it's like very much in the style of like, you know, Woody Allen or, you know, another like, you know, neurotic Jewish comedian from New York. And so I was like, oh, okay, so that's kind of where we're going with this. Um, I like the movie. Um, My only my only real problem with the movie is it's like it's very like, I don't know. It's not a by the numbers biopic. But it moves in that same general kind of flow, um, you know. Like I would, I would call it structure by the numbers. That and that doesn't mean it's not funny, and it, that doesn't mean it can't be good. But again, you don't have to qualify your criticisms of it. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I agree that it's by the numbers. I, I, it's a biopic. You know, totally, it's by the yeah, numbers. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh. In fact, I think yeah. I, in fact, I have criticisms of this. It's not a perfect film for me, and, I, and one of them is about the structure. But go ahead, Kevin. Okay, so yeah, um, yeah, like that was that was one of the the big things that I noticed, and like you know, it was kind of like um, you know, I kind of like compared it to like uh, like George Carlin was like very you know straight laced, wore you know suits and stuff, and then you know one day he's like off the rails with the seven words you don't say on TV, mm-hmm. and which um, are referenced in this, yeah, right. yeah, so it's kind of a, a similar similar thing um i would have liked to have seen more stuff with like how his relationship like i would have liked to have seen more stuff of robin's backstory but this is howard's movie so um because like you know she's just like very like laid back for like everything that he's doing Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know so i think uh, that's 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 why she works for his show and i think that's like that she the character of herself that she's playing in this seems pretty like mm. legitimate to who she is. Like she is just like a foil for him. She's somebody, she's like his sounding board, like on the show, even to this day, like he just, he talks to her when he's talking on the radio. Like he's not monologuing, he's talking to Robin and Robin right. will respond like every now and then. And, uh, that's, it's like a conversation between those two more than anything. I mean, the first time they interact <clears throat> on air, um, is is great like just oh yeah the way that she immediately em- uh, embraces but like gets into to that flow and can can kind of get onto that level yeah. is uh it's like their their chemistry is so immediate um and that's awesome uh it is hard to believe 
that like a professional just like walks in and sits in a room for the first time and is just okay with that. But it was great. Yeah. Like, yeah, like that's, that's something that like the movie definitely needs more of is like their dynamic because, you know, like she's, she's more than willing to play the game. And a lot of, a lot of like a lot of the stuff in the movie is like, she's, you know, going further into it than he is. So, um, like, I think, like, for me, like, the funniest scene in the movie is, like, when he's, like, trying to play Frisbee with that dude when the dude, the other guy, like, shows up and was like, hey, oh. they want to <laughs> offer you a contract. <laughs> and it's like, oh, yeah, you try again, try again. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, I like that, too. Um, I think, uh, I, the, as far as, like, the filmmaking goes, I think the movie looks really nice. Mm. Uh, I think it's, like, shot really well. And I think that the early, like the earliest stuff where, where he's a child in New York City and he's being brought to the the studio by his father, mm-hmm. like there's like a shot, uh, like an outside shot of Manhattan that's completely dressed for the 50s. And it's it looks like way bigger than they, they would have had budget for. You know what I mean? Like it's going mm-hmm. all the way down the street. There are like 50s cars and everything just looks period. It's like I thought I saw it was like really impressive. How they did that, and also there's a helicopter shot of his father's car driving in on the on one of the bridges, and all mm. the cars around it are period cars, and it just feels like crazy that they would have the budget to because this wasn't like a super uh, high budget film, you know. Mm. It wasn't uh, a blockbuster or anything. Obviously, I'm trying to figure out what the actual budget was on it. Twenty eight million. So I mean, mm. you know, it wasn't huge. But uh, anyways, so yeah, I find that impressive. Um, and as far as like Robin getting into it right away, I like I agree. It's like it's hard to. It, I I think if you if you told somebody the first time they were on air, Robin immediately just jumped on board and was fine with everything. That sounds unbelievable. But the way it's portrayed in the film, I find I, I like I like that he. He like he says he like tries to get her to say something and then she's like quiet at first and he's like you know like like let's go like we're doing this and she gets into it and I, I it, you know it comes off as believable but because of that I <clears throat> I know very little about radio um, I definitely didn't realize that like the news people were like in the same studio just like sitting there quiet except for like the one time an hour that they talk. I didn't know. I mean, I don't know that that's the case. I, I it's just like um, she. Yeah, I mean, she is in the show that becomes his show with her, like in the early to mid eighties that continues on until this day. She's behind glass, like she's in a booth. Sure, the whole show. and and she ends up in a booth pretty quickly in this when Allison right. Janney is like, let's separate them. Right, but, but I um, don't know. I don't know if that's the way it is for most. Yeah, I, I guess, like, you know, years of, like, listening to ESPN radio back in the day, like, that they had, like, the news person who would cut in, like, every mm-hmm. half hour uh, when the show and give you whatever sports update. And I definitely just assumed that person was, like, somewhere else in the building, just totally separate. Like, does that person have to be in a little glass booth right. on the same feed? I, I have no idea. I think it's just because uh, she's probably in there because of the fact that like, he wants her there. You know what I mean? Like if it were as anybody else, he'd be like, you know, 
the, the news person can go take a break until we're ready for the news. But she, he, she's part of the show. He wants her in the yeah. studio all the time. Yeah, they definitely just like talk about like when he gets to WNBC. They just that is like when they're trying to figure out the news person situation mm-hmm. at management. They're just they're definitely talking about it like that person is just there and part of the team. Right. That's, That's what I'm saying. I don't know. I don't. I don't know how accurate the movie is in terms of that. And also, there's like there's th- there are a lot of like sort of small things that are obvious embellishments and changes, like his look. Um his look when he's first starting and he has the mustache and the short hair, that's his look until like 1987. Like he doesn't like in anything that happens in this movie, he looks like that until the end of the movie, but they changed, he changed that cause he doesn't want to look that way. Right. He wants to look, have the rock and hair and like, you know, he's, this is at a time in 97. Like if you listen to the episodes from 97, when he's filming this, because he's filming this movie in the afternoons and still doing his show every day. And uh, he talks about it all the time. Like, you know, I was on set and this is what happened last yesterday. And um, like he talks about all the like the working out that he did to get in shape. And like, you know, he thinks he looks good now. He like he's he's got like a, a better self-image than he's had in the past. And um, so it's obvious that, like, you know, they're they're changing sort of certain things about the history. And I'm sure that they're, like I'm sure that other things didn't happen maybe exactly the way that they happen in this film. But yeah, I don't, and like it wasn't, um, wasn't his wife Allison like an actress and not someone who works with like people with, with special needs? Yes, I don't really know anything about Allison. I mean, when I started listening to his show or watching his show, he was already divorced from her. So, yeah, I, I read that happened in like 2001. Yeah, it's like <clears> a couple of years, years after this came, which is interesting. I mean, this, you know, it feels like, um, his emotional arc is certainly tied to Allison. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of my criticisms had to do with, with uh, Allison, just like they give her like a few scenes, but I, I wish they had given her kind of more. Like we get, you know, like the one, one of my favorite scenes was uh post miscarriage and they're like joking together. Like I, I loved that. Um, and then, you know, she gets really mad when he jokes on air uh, not jokes, but like he turns the miscarriage into into a bit. Yeah. Um. And then she has like that one scene where she's like uncomfortable listening to his show when he's interviewing uh, the Jenna Jameson. Yeah. Uh, masseuse, I guess was that was she, she wasn't actually playing herself, right? I think she was. Or was actually. she? Okay. No, she okay. plays Mandy. You're right. She plays Mandy. Um, like she's listening to that in the car with other women and mentions turns it off and then is like uncomfortable, but like, like in that back half of the movie, I wish there had just been more with, uh, with her. Well, he talks about on the show, he talks about, um, when he gets like, and uh, after he gets like, he talks about his divorce a lot on the show, uh, while it was happening. But he's, I remember once specifically him saying, you know, I couldn't like we, our marriage wasn't great. Even when I was making that movie and I couldn't talk about that because I'm making a movie about how great our marriage is. <laughs> you know, so it's like you know, it, it wouldn't sell the film, I guess. Well, and that's yeah. Well, I guess we can. Uh... That noise. What is happening? <laughs> Ooh. What? I don't know. There's nothing running in my house. I don't think. Is that Are you... one of us, then? 
turn yours back on? Kevin, it's you. Oh, that's my AC. Okay, that's okay. <laughs> just like, that was so loud at first. It actually doesn't sound that loud anymore, but okay, it was yeah. like crazy loud at first. Um, how do you guys feel about the interstitials? Like the this, the sort of um, man on the street stuff with Gary Delabate, who's his producer, uh, trying to get people to hold up signs to introduce the different segments of the film. <laughs> I thought it was pretty funny. Especially the end, like I mentioned before, you know. Which what was the end? Sorry, busting my ass for him for ten years. He won't. Oh, even that one. Credits, that's not that, that. Well, that's like a. That's a. Uh, I mean, that's you know. Stuttering. The other ones are real, like the interstitials. The other inter- 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 oh, right, inter- right, right. are like real, like real people, right? But um, <laughs> as except for the, except for the, two sort of weird ones where they interview actors. On the street. As if they were the actual people. It starts with Alice and Janney mm. at the beginning of the film. As well, the producer, a couple people get interviewed. The, well, they do the parents and Alice and Janney. Who else do they do? Mary McCormick. Really? Uh, okay, yeah. Yeah, that's where mm. she says, actually, Howard's penis is a oh, fine right. size. Right, right, right. Uh, they do Paul Giamatti at the end, like yeah. in, in the credits. I never saw that before this watch either. Never <laughs> seen that before. Mm. Okay. Um, and. I think Maybe that's, that's it. it. I don't know. But I remember thinking, like, I I almost feel like they should have interviewed act the actual people in those scenes instead of the actors. I mean, if they were available, sure. Well, I mean, you know, it's his family. You know, I mean, except for the producer, I guess. But other than that, it's like his, you know, his wife and his uh, parents. You know, they mm. would. So, you know, they they start with Allison Janney, and then you don't see her again until probably like an hour into the movie maybe or maybe a little less um and i was wondering if they started with that you know like that was like about the like he wanted me to run a contest yeah the toilet for uh, the biggest bowel movement um (laughs) and it's like i wonder if they started with wanted to start with that because like starting with his narration and fart man coming down from the sky was just like too much I think it's a good cold open, honestly. Like it makes sense, and it's like, and it shows, it gives you like an idea of like that. That is the. It's like Howard saying, "This is the perception of me, right? That this is what I'm mm. about. I'm about doing contests about bowel movements on the air, and well, people are disgusted by it. And then the, his whole narration starts with, "I'm misunderstood. Like I'm trying to do something creative and yeah. fun here, and nobody understands it, and everybody thinks I'm an asshole, and you know." <laughs> so I think in that turn, in, in that context, it works. Mm. But I don't. Oh, yeah. But I don't like the fact that they're interviewing an actress. I wish they were interviewing a real person. But then, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um. Sorry, I'm just going through my notes. Are the interstitials shot in 16 millimeter? Do we have a, a, an answer on this? I couldn't find the information <laughs> online. They look like they're shot in 16 millimeter to me. They do. They probably are. Online, How... on the IMDb, it says that the whole movie is shot in 35, but I don't know that that's true. Or not? Yeah, the the interstitials look. But I mean, they they look like, if not handheld, like set up with a, a camera that's easy to set up quickly and which makes total sense. Yeah, because they they're get presented they're, as being not totally legal. Right, which I think is put on totally whenever the cops come and try to mm. get them. That seems totally put on. But um, I'd also say that like the. I hate that the um, the one in particular, the one 
uh, interstitial with Gary trying to convince the girl to get naked who said she was going to get naked and she's in the car and her husband's trying to get her naked too. Like that's the sort of thing that like if 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 Howard Stern made private parts now, he wouldn't have that scene in there, right? Because that's like mm-hmm. it's gross. It's like they're trying to like exploit this woman who do- obviously does not want to do this, whatever she agreed to before. And it's like that's the part where it's like I, I hate that that's even in the movie because it sort of like drags the whole thing down. Like it's like people are gonna like people who would otherwise laugh at this movie maybe would get to that scene and like be offended by it. And like I like because it's because it is like it's just like it's it has this like sort of um gross like grossness to it. And it is what Howard Stern was about, like especially in the eighties and the early nineties, like this is the kind of shit that he did. Like he was He's he, like he'll get a he'll get a, a beautiful woman in his studio and he'll berate her until she gets naked. You know what I mean? Because that's what he wants to see and that's what the audience wants and everything. Mm. And he's not forcing her and he'll be you know. But he, but it's like it's manipulative and it's gross and he doesn't do that kind of shit anymore. And uh, but it's like you know I, I got those, those kind of things really that like that that scene in particular like bothered me watching it this time. And I was like mm. that's and it's not funny. Like I didn't find it particularly funny. Like I you know. Uh, Gary isn't a funny person in and of himself. Like he's only funny when, when, uh, when Howard is making fun of him on the air, that's, what's funny about him. Mm. So, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I don't know that, that, that scene sucks for me. That's like, that's like probably my biggest criticism of the film is like that, that kind of stuff being in there. There's yeah, another think, uh... one too, where he's, where he's getting that woman to say it over and over again. And she's cold. He's like, just say it, come on. <laughs> and it's just like, and it's just, I don't know. It just feels like really gross, like the way they're mm. treating these people. That is gross. The um, I, the only other moment, like in the um, in the actual like narrative with the uh, a thing that I was just like, this this is like not not a good look. Mm. Is um, is the black traffic correspondent? Yes, I agree. That he with pulls that. out. Yeah, yeah. The um, that's not a great one. Right. And he'd I mean, prob- that's he'd like, we take that one back totally. Mm-hmm. And it's, that's, that feels like that's something that he probably more than likely actually did. And he's like, this is, you know, and, and he did it like out of petulant anger right? Uh, yeah. in the moment. And it's like, yeah, there's probably a better way to channel that. And it's also not particularly funny at all either. Like mm-hmm. it's, you know, no. it's like, it's probably the least funny. Well, it, it, it was the like, the, it was like the most like shock jock actually like <laughs> yeah. trying to be shocking and not funny mm. did you guys see the uh the line pasted inside of the the book about babes when he's reading the book about babes he's got his lines pasted in there you can see them like pieces of paper no no i didn't see that taped inside of it in a certain shot <laughs> classic you know no, he's, How, a busy, he's a busy guy so yeah. speaking of that i mean do you guys feel like he's a good actor I think he, you know, kind of like for for what he's doing, I think he's fine. Um, you know, like if he was doing someone else, mm-hmm. you know, like I think it would be a different story. But you know, he can play himself. You know, obviously very naturally. And, and uh, some of the stuff when he's younger is a little seems seems a little like goofy and kind of forced, but. You know when he when he's finally like uh you know closer to where he was at that time he does you know smooth he does yeah he does reference that right that he's mm. like he's like he's like you know i know that i'm 
you know, I look like I'm 40 and then I'm supposed to be in high school, but you have to spend disbelief or whatever, or I'm yeah, supposed to be yeah, in college yeah. or whatever. But it's like, you know, I'm glad that they referenced that because, and I'm glad that he plays himself in those scenes too. Cause I, th- I think he's real. I, th- I think he does a great job in it. I mean, acting, I don't think he's like a magnificent actor, but he's definitely, like you say, he's playing himself. He's doing a really good job. I think he does a good job. And I, I don't want to like minimize, like, I don't, I don't think playing yourself is necessarily easy. Like, you know, it, it sure that that can also be like I'm playing myself. It's just like a shortcut to like well, not he's a, any work, and I, I sure. think he does a, a pretty good job. He's a performer. I mean, mm. yeah, he's like a natural performer, and that's why he's good on the radio, or it's why he's popular on the radio. So I mean, it makes sense that he'd be able to to perform. You know, like I don't, you know, it'd be. I would think it'd be weird if he couldn't act, or it was just like god awful or something. Mm. Um. Do you guys have notes about the uh, about the ending? Which is him at the ACDC rally? No, no. Is that the end? <laughs> Although, <laughs> like, I mean, kind of. I mean, I mean like, in, the, in the airport? In oh, the, the airport. It's off the plane? Like, where, where it's revealed that he's been telling the story. Oh, right. The hot woman on the plane. And he says, I could get her? He says, I could get I this I could girl. get her. And that's, and that's my curse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> She's like, okay, dude. Uh, the um okay apparently i don't know if you read this he improv that whole that whole speaking directly into the camera thing he did that all just on the spot they didn't have lines for that okay so and i that's another thing like i don't like so all of a sudden we're talking directly to the camera yeah it's woody allen like like uh yeah yeah Yeah. um but this is yeah uh, the it was just like a little too like unironic and self-congratulatory. And I know that that's what this movie was for, but I was like, so like you want me to feel like sympathy for you now in this moment? Because like you could be having way more sex. Yeah. I just like, we got into it. And, um, this, uh, it was like, Stern did a really good job of like making his insecurities a part of this movie, but I felt like every time that became a thing, he like undercut his point. Um, even with like, you know, like the I'm ugly and I have a small penis thing, and then the, of like of course Mary McCormick tells the camera directly, you know, his penis is is absolutely fine. It's great, great penis. And it's like just <laughs> like, did, well. Did you- they need her to say that to okay. the audience. It's, okay. It's but you have to imagine that this, like those kinds of the narrative of I'm ugly and I have a small penis is not, um, relegated to this film. Like that's the narrative that he pushed that he's been pushing for 40 years. Like it, my dick is small. He talks about sure. it all the time. Like he's very insecure about his looks. He's very insecure about his dick. Well, and, and he's and about so, his shitting habits. Like he's very open and insecure about everything, you know? And, that, and that's, and that's great. And, um, but it's like, he makes this whole like thing about like, I gotta be myself. I gotta talk about my feelings about me and I gotta go all in. And, um, I just like all the bits that we actually see in the movie, like minus like him talking about a miscarriage. Um, they're like, they're the wild bits of him not being himself and not talking about his feelings. It's it's, so it's like, he talks talks about it's like. I got to be like me and like show my personality and my feelings. And then he doesn't ever do that. Well, he talks about his time in Vietnam. 
Oh, just kidding. Go ahead. Yeah. No, I mean that's it. I just it was like like you like fuck it, Howard. You like you actually made me you got me to enjoy like way more of this movie than I thought I would. And then you shit on it at the end with your shitty shitting habits that you're insecure about. How about the um for Kevin, the the Seinfeld connections? Poppy is in this. Oh yeah, yeah, he's one of the ex- executives. Also, uh, Julia Louis Dreyfus was originally cast as Allison, but had to drop out. Oh, that was that's a bummer. She would have been great. Yeah, would have been a different film for sure. Um, st- uh, there's a scene where Stern meets Don Imus for the first time, and Don Imus yells at him and or says like "fuck you" or something like that to him, and. Um, Apparently, they worked together for like a really long time in the eighties. Like they were the top two in at uh, at that radio station. But mm-hmm. he like he fucking hated Don Imus like with a passion. Ouch! He talk shit about him all the time. When Don Imus was had that, that, was that actually Don Imus? No, it wasn't. I okay. looked it up too because he actually looks like all oh, like him. But um, no, it's just some actor. But uh, when when Don Imus had that thing a few years ago where he called the female basketball team nappy headed hose and he was called a racist mm. and everything stern was coming out and saying like he used to use the n-word all the time around the office like he, he was definitely a racist like he was like super like anti don i was like he hated that fucking guy <laughs> you guys like um giamatti no as pig vomit no no <laughs> <laughs> how about his line where he calls him the motherfucking antichrist <laughs> A little over the top there. <laughs> um, this was one of those those things where, like, first, like the accent work is driving me insane. Um, just going in and out, and you know, like, I know it's not like serious, and Giamatti's getting deaf fun just shouting at people. He was only twenty nine when he like filmed this. Yeah, he's got hair. Mm. That he, but he doesn't look twenty nine. Oh, um, I mean, he's got hair though. Like compared yeah. to compared to like seeing him in like sideways, like he looks like he's much younger. You know. Well, the, I guess his character was just such like um, like it makes no sense. Just like you know, they've just like decided we're gonna tame him, we're gonna tame him, and like just all evidence is pointing to like this guy is really popular. You should like just use him to make money and be happy about it and then they don't like that though the reason and the reason that's okay okay real quick yeah okay i agree like from the movie context police right i agree yeah there's that's the problem right like watching this and having no like information out and that's that's a that's a fault of the film and i totally acknowledge that but like he's he's number one in all of his markets right he's hugely popular he's making them a shitload of money right but the problem is that the fcc doesn't like him Right. And the problem is that he's getting fined constantly. The stations are getting fined constantly. This is why they don't want him. They want somebody who's like him, but not as abrasive. They want somebody who's like the Disneyfied version of Howard Stern. And this is like, because he gets fired from NBC and he goes to uh, New York. He goes to a different radio station in New York, competing like rock station in New York. And um, that's where he's at. I believe he's there until he goes to Sirius. But even there, like there, like he, he, there's a whole sort of, um, there's a, a YouTube compilation you can listen to where he's, he gets in, uh, it's right after the Super Bowl happened with Justin Timberlake and, um, Janet Jackson, where her tit comes out, you know, and 
the FCC cracks down across the board on everything, and there's like a there's like a, a unanimous decision that's made that if uh, from uh, Viacom who owns the radio station that he's on, and they say that like if anybody gets any kind of fine, they're fired immediately. The DJ's fired, the producer's fired, uh, the, the station manager is fired, and so he's like the, he says the second that comes out, he's like he's like that's it. Like we got another week, maybe you know we're gonna get it's over. We're we're fired. I'm out of here, you know. And he's like talking about retiring and stuff. And so and this is like right around, you know, he's probably honestly he's probably already in talks to go to Sirius at that time, but he doesn't reveal that. But uh, anyway, so yeah, I mean the fact that they're like we're gonna tame him, it makes sense because they want to tame him because they want to keep him because he's making the money, but they can't have the controversy that's involved, I guess. How'd you feel about the BF Skinner reference? You remember BF Skinner from grad school? No, we used to talk. They talked. One of our teachers talked about BF Skinner all the time, and I forget. Really? Yeah, it's in it's in this movie. I don't even remember what the reference is. Is in this he movie. like a like rats in a maze or something? Who's Skinner? Yeah, he's like a yeah he's like a psychologist with he's it was in one of our pedagogy classes. They talked about him. Okay. Um, BF Skinner, American psychologist, behaviorist, author. I don't know. I just remember they mentioned him, and I was like, oh, "The behaviorist would probably would have been like aligned with like the, you know, basically the the training, the conditioning." Mm-hmm. Um, right. Yeah, uh, I don't remember a ton of that stuff. Me neither. Do you guys remember? Uh, do you guys see uh, Edie Falco in the backseat of the car in that one scene? I don't remember. When the driver the, the realtor. They're driving with the realtor, and um, it's the scene that JR was talking about earlier where she gets embarrassed and turns the radio off. Edie Falco's in the backseat. She doesn't have any lines. It's two years before Sopranos. James Hong as the waiter at the Chinese restaurant. Notice that. Mm. Uh, Nicole Bass and Crackhead Bob. These are whack packers from Howard Stern's show. They're in the interstitials. Not, many, not as many whack packers as I thought. I remember... The last time I watched this was maybe like five or six years ago, and I've watched so much Stern since then that it's like I remember thinking like, "Oh, I'm gonna catch so much more shit," and I didn't. I didn't. There wasn't that much to catch, <laughs> and have a lot of uh, a lot of people. And finally, I only have one more lo- one more note, and it's my favorite line of the entire film. It's the funniest line of the film. You guys ready for it? As ready as I'll ever be. Yeah. It's when they're caught in the rain and they go to the apartment and he meets Mary for the first time and they knock on the door and he says, we were on our way to a rally in support of feminism and we got caught in the rain. (laughs) (laughs) What a great line. (laughs) A rally in support of feminism. Oh, that's the best. That gets me going just talking about it. (laughs) I love that. Anyway, private parts, just for my money just so unrate, underrated and so so funny but you know it's not going to be for everybody i guess mm. you guys want to do oh sorry go ahead yeah it, was, it certainly thoughts. wasn't the garbage that i thought it was going to be <laughs> good <laughs> glad <laughs> glad it wasn't the garbage you thought it was going to be final thoughts anything ratings uh, I'm going three and a half. It's like let's do ratings as late as fuck. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna go with three. It's a big four and a half for me. 
uh, and I was going to do a like, but I didn't want to show you guys that I had a like on it. So, yeah, you know, I just can't. I didn't put that in, but I just did just now. It's a like. I love this movie. It's very funny. Um, I also watched uh, his pay-per-view special, um, <laughs> U.S. Open Sores, <laughs> where he, uh, which is in the, it's in the, uh, I think it's in the 80s. Is it in the 80s? Oh, Jesus. Sorry, real quick. I just want to look it up. Uh, yeah, 89. He plays uh, tennis against his producer, uh, Gary Delabate. And Robin Quivers plays against one of the Whack Packers, and they have Sam Kennison on there. It's pretty good. It's pretty funny. <laughs> anyway, it's a different <laughs> show back then. But uh, yeah, let's. Uh, so, what are we doing for as far as um, the thing, the letterbox roulette? What are we doing for that? Because uh, obviously, Howard Stern's been in literally nothing, and right. uh, neither have uh, Fred Norris or Robin Quivers. I was thinking we just use Giamatti, but I mean, you guys tell me. That's fine by me. I'm, yeah, I'm cool with that. And I didn't, okay. I didn't play the game today. Oh, okay, um, I did, and I crushed it. So you guys would definitely lose. Uh, Giamatti, then it is. I, I don't feel confident about this one. I feel like yeah, Jared's got me on this. I one. feel like I'm gonna have a homework break. So mm. you've definitely seen Lady in the Water and Cinderella Man, right? Um, yeah, I actually haven't seen Lady in the Water, but I've seen Cinderella Man. And you saw that gunpowder milkshake bullshit movie. Yeah. Oh, great. God. Oh, God. Movie rocked. Oh, my God. But, I mean, I'm missing, like, a bunch of, like, I never saw Straight Outta Compton. I never saw Hangover Me Part 2. I mean, I did see that. I've never seen Man on the Moon. Mm. Somehow missed Turbo. I don't know how. And I haven't seen Singles. <clears throat> You haven't seen that's kinda, is he, that's he's in singles? One. According to this, he's in singles, and I never saw that. Yeah, singles is hmm. garbage. Have you seen American Splendor? Okay, you have. Yeah, actually. That's good. Okay, uh, my number is 21, so I'm sure I'm destroyed. But Yeah. 14. <laughs> I'm not, yeah, and I would, you're not destroyed. It's 27. Uh, 27. I'm destroyed. So. I feel bad. I feel bad for that being that low. I'm a, because I'm a Paul Giamatti fan. I like him. Well, you know, you got to watch these stupid animated movies he's in. No, I need to see like, uh, you know, Big Fat Liar. Yeah. And, uh, the Nanny Diaries with Chloe. Or not Chloe. Jesus. Scarlett Johansson. And Fred Claus. Not starring you, Chloe You Johansson. don't need to see Fred Claus. Please don't see Fred Claus. I'm not going to see Fred Claus. Relax. He's in Romeo and Juliet, the 2013 one. Who's he playing that? What's the anyway, 2013 Romeo and Juliet? Uh, with um, Haley Steinfeld. He's Friar Lawrence. You don't remember this? No. I don't think not, anybody ever saw it. But not at all. It appears to have very low ratings. Um, anyway, uh, let me get to the random number generator. For our list, crossing cannons, 2438 is the number. What are Kevin and I going to have to watch? Something bad. Something bad. Something bad. Oh, yeah, you're not watching this. Why? It's like three and a half Jackson Heights? I'd watch that in a heartbeat. It's like four hours long. It's really long. Yeah, okay. (laughs) We can't watch that. We can't watch In Jackson Heights, the Frederick... 
Wiseman. Douglas. Right. Wiseman. Wiseman. That's what I meant to say. <laughs> Movie. Um, yeah, how would we even watch that? You know, that's on Canopy. All those, all of the wise oh, okay. are on Canopy, mm. or most of them. Oh, okay. All right, I've got the next film, and it's twenty six thirty eight, which is Tristram Shandy. Oh, that's great! By Michael Winterbottom, only ninety four minutes. I'm in. It's uh, like a oh, meta yeah. adaptation of uh... starring Steve Coogan. So it's something for yeah. uh, for Kevin and Rob Brydon. Mm-hmm. It's a Michael Winterbottom movie. Um, yeah. I loved this back when it came out. All right. I've seen three Michael Winterbottom movies. All of the trips. Nope, never seen the trips. I saw Twenty Four Hour Party People. I've seen The Killer Inside Me, and I saw The Claim. From 2000, mm. which is like a Western that he did. I've not yeah. seen the claim. Okay. The cl- it's not great, but um, you know, I, I thought it was going to be amazing. I don't think Michael Winterbottom is great. I think that he is uh, pretty good doing comedies with Steve Coogan. Mm. Like I, I did not like 24 Hour Party People. I remember not being thrilled with that either. I watched it because it's you know it's like Joy Division and shit. Yes, it, it is. Fair. Um, I feel like I might have seen A Mighty Heart also, but I don't... Maybe not. Mm. I don't know. Anyway. All right, so next time we'll be watching um, the movie we just said. Tristram Shandy, A Cock and Bull Story. Mm. Why is this movie called Tristram Shandy, A Cock and Bull Story on the poster, but then you look it up on Letterboxd, it just says A Cock and Bull Story. I don't know. In the title. Uh, yeah, there's know, there's a book like the life and opinions of Tristram Shandy. So I'm oh, guessing it's, it's like it's based Tristram. On that. Yeah, I thought I was saying yeah. Tristram. Tristram. Anyway, should we, all, should we all read that before next time? I'm good. I don't think so. I it actually, looks really uh, long. It's not that long, but I I bought the book after I saw this movie. Oh, and okay. uh, as you guys can probably guess, I I never read that shit. Of not. You might at some point, though. You guys like to read. I do. Um, all right. Well, uh, next time on the show, it's somebody's pick. JR's pick. JR, it's, it's your fine. pick. Uh, what are we watching? Yeah, you know, I've been like racking my brain. I was like, do I make us all rewatch Dead Ringers? And. Also check out a couple episodes of that new series with Rachel Vice. I literally just watched Dead Ringers like not long ago. Okay, well, lucky Please. for you. Thank you. We're not doing that. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I have been desperately wanting to rewatch this for a while, and I apologize in advance. It's a little over two hours, but um, okay. I don't think you guys have seen it. It's mm. uh, a Sam Peckinpah movie, Cross of Iron. I have not seen that. I've always oh, wanted okay. to. It's on my watch list. Um. Yeah, I remember uh, loving this one, and uh, it's time it's time to revisit it. Yeah, man. see if it's good. Sam Peckinpah is he good? James Coburn, Max Shell, fuck yeah, I'm in. David Warner. For some reason, I always thought this was uh, when I thought about this movie. I thought that James Coburn was Lee, uh, um, Lee Marvin. 
they do have very similar looks in this movie especially because it's like hair is like getting white blondish white mm-hmm. yeah anyway yeah this is uh exciting i'm excited i've been wanting i actually just thought about this movie not too long ago like in the last week or two i thought about watching this movie um i see clips from it sometimes on youtube mm. the violence you know it's one of the only violent peck and paws i haven't seen like ultra violent peck and paws yeah so yeah that'll be uh this will be this will be fun a fun time we'll get to talk about some masculinity stuff it's gonna be great <laughs> all right next time we'll be watching cross of iron and uh it, thanks for listening and visit our website filmiacpodcast.com and write to us filmiacpodcast at gmail.com like and subscribe to our our, our our podcast wherever you're listening to this podcast and thank you for listening to episode 140 uh we'll see you again for 141 hey 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 bye hey.